How you doing, wrestling fans? Welcome to another edition of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight Podcast. We are the only podcast that brings you back 30 years with vintage audio featuring some of the biggest names of that time. And tonight's episode, we're going back even further. It's an interesting show. Um, you know, the last couple of weeks, we want to thank Mick Foley for being with us. Uh, people loved it. Uh, there was some really cool stuff there. So once again, thank you to Mick Foley for being on the show for the last couple of weeks. Uh, but now, uh, because there's a bit of a gap uh, that is leading up to uh, the steroid scan, uh, the steroid scandals, the sex scandals uh, that really uh, took place the second week of March. We had one week to kind of fool around with and came up with a really interesting concept, uh, which is really going to talk about the the origins of the pro wrestling spotlight. And here with me to do that, uh, two of our Beloved experts, historians, journalists, photographers. First of all, I want to say hello to my co-host out of New York, uh, the renowned wrestling journalist, Mr. Bob Smith. Bob, welcome back uh, to this pretty exciting, special, unique show. John, what an intro. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And yes, this is unlike anything we've done before. And yeah. it's new to me, and it's even new to... Our other teammate here, Don. Yes. Uh, speaking of Don, uh, joining us from Florida, wearing his uh, Mets Pro Wrestling Spotlight cap. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're all kind of craving baseball right now, but uh, we do like to say hello to uh, uh, the guy that was with me every step of the way, really. Uh, with a, Jeez, we go back 50 years or so, <laughs> close to 50 years. Uh, the one and only, rest, Mr. Don Libel, the one-man wrestling encyclopedia. Hey, thank you very much. You know, and I'm anxious because we're going to see some material, listen to some material today that um, I haven't heard of. And certainly it's my favorite era. I really look forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. When I was uh, thinking of the concept and pulling some clips, I had to um, you know, go through a lot of old tapes. And I hate to say that a couple of them actually <laughs> didn't uh, make it. Uh, they snapped in the cassette machine because they were so old. Uh, but we have plenty to go over. Uh, and we'll talk about all of that stuff when we uh, get to it in just a couple of minutes here. I do want to mention our Patreon account like I do at the beginning of every show. The Patreon account is just loaded, chock-filled with wrestling history uh, from 50 years uh, up to mostly the 1990s. And, of course, Patreon members get the podcast early, five days early, actually. You get the entire archives of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight from 1989 uh, through uh, this episode that will be up there uploaded in just a couple of days. So um, you'll be able to hear it all uh, for just five bucks a month. And that is at patreon.com slash John Arezzi. If you want to dive deeper into the archives, uh, we have uh, tier levels uh, to fit every budget uh, from bonus audio to bonus videos, eight millimeter films, vintage uh, photo sets, original photo sets that are unwatermarked. Uh, so um, uh, just check it out. Just go to the page, patreon.com slash John Arezzi. 
and see which level works best for you. And uh, would certainly appreciate it because that does help with the production of this show. So here we go. Bob, um, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that happened a long time ago and really the origins of this program. I'm going through these notes. And during this time period, as we start our little uh, time machine here, I mean, back then I was looking for prom dates and stuff. This is how long this goes back. You're I mean, in high I, school. I was in high school when you started out. Um, yeah. I graduated in 76. So you graduated high school in 76. Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm so, in 74, 1974. Yes, you're just slightly older than I am. And bit, so, yeah. so you were, uh, how did you get started? I mean, this is a great question because we've never talked about this before. No. Um, what, what were you interested in a radio career? Were you, I know you were interested in wrestling. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with your original concept? on a show like you're about, we're about to hear. Well, I mean, I was a fan obviously. And then when I started going to the matches and uh, you know, my fandom was getting a little bit deeper, deeper, not only from reading the magazines, but going to all the garden shows. And uh, I, I had uh, found out, and this was probably in uh, sometime, Donnie, you would know this. When did uh, when did Don Leo Jonathan? When did when did he first uh, fight? Seventy three. It was seventy three. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, so basically, uh, I found out about a wrestling radio show that was airing in New York at uh, on WHBI was the station, and I think it was way up there on the dial. Uh, I can't give you the exact frequency, uh, but um, it was on at one in the morning after the garden shows. It was only on, I believe, it could have been on every week, but I believe it was, it could have been just a monthly show uh, right after the garden show. So uh, you'd get that 1110 train back to Long Island. And when I found out about this radio show, I mean, you know, I, I you know, I got back home and i when I first started hearing uh, the show, and I ran, and I, it was static on the radio, uh, so basically, I tuned it in, and I heard a voice that was a, a, a guy named Happy Holiday was his name. Yes, Don, do you remember him? I remember. Oh my gosh, I do remember it. Happy, we, holiday. Love, we love you the most, to say the least, and yes, that's what one yes. of his catchphrases. And and he was uh, there. Oh my gosh. Uh, and I believe the first time I heard the show, Bill Apter was on the air with this guy, Happy Holiday. And it was kind of the results and talking about the card. It was all kayfabe stuff. And and I think Bill had a few interviews that he played. And and then uh, each week or each month or whatever it was, I don't even remember, uh, uh, you know, and Bill was not on there for a long time. Uh, and then Elliot Marin, Professor Elliot, was one of, was one of the hosts of the show uh, with Happy Holiday. And, uh, you know, and that's, I don't know if he was calling himself the professor then or not, but I was immediately enthralled with this wrestling on the radio concept. And it really just kind of lit me up. Uh, I got very excited about it. And that show went through a lot of different hosts. Um, Stan Friedman was a guy that was a, um, uh, a radio guy from Texas who moved to New York. And, and he took the show over after Elliot. 
And I remember he brought on Don Leo Jonathan in the studio with George wow. Ann, with George Ann Orsi at the time. <laughs> and I have the tape. It's up for patrons to hear, actually. It's on there. It's Don Leo Jonathan's uh, appearance on this radio show after he had uh, Russell Morales. And it was fascinating for me because he's out of character. Uh, he's not breaking kayfabe. And it was like, I was all in. I was like, this is friggin' awesome. Uh, and then, you know, as the as time progressed and Stan got out of there, then uh, these two characters, uh, one guy, uh, Jimmy Mack and Jay Rosen, who, Don, I'm sure you remember. Sure. These guys were like, like a circus sideshow. They really were. And I know that uh, Jay Rosen is still alive. He lives out on Long Island. Uh, he went into uh, the wrestling universe and uh, out in Comac, Long Island, and was talking about how, uh, you know, he knew me and all of this. And But they, those guys were, were so funny. They were just, you know, unkept in a lot of ways. I think uh, more of, uh, of uh, Jimmy Mack rather than Jay, because yes. uh, Jimmy Mack was a mess, this guy. And they'd be on the air, and it would be crazy. They'd go into the garden with the suit, and I know uh, uh, Jimmy Mack's tie was almost up to his neck. And and yes. when they did interviews with Blassie, Albano, uh, the guys used to love to just rib them and mm. and just not tell them the truth and come up with all kinds of crazy stuff because they were backstage at the garden like we were. And I don't even know how they got their press credentials, but they were there. And uh, it was it was really funny. Uh, and then it was taken over after that by a guy <laughs> named Louis Green. And he used to dye his hair green and yellow. And he, you know, he was this flamboyant guy who hung around with this really attractive young girl uh, named Melody D. And he also, as you just brought up before we started recording, Don, he used to have his his father outside the garden yeah. with him and he used to like abuse this this old man <laughs> yes, he did. All fans. yes he did so what a bunch of characters it was crazy and then uh a guy named alan kaminsky took over uh the show <laughs> and i think it was a public access station because i actually went on the show uh when mike leno was visiting and we both <laughs> My father took us, it was in the middle of the night at one o'clock in the morning, and he, he took us down. It was off of Riverside Drive in Manhattan. Yes. And, uh, and, and I still have that tape of uh, Mike and I uh, with Alan on this, uh, mm -hmm. on this, sh on this uh, uh, radio show, and I think I'm going to uh, put that up for patrons as well. Uh, but that, for me, was kind of like, yeah, I mean, this is kind of cool. And, Bob, uh, to answer your question, I, I mean, I, I – wanted to be I wanted to do something exciting in my life and uh, broadcasting I love the Mets you know I would have loved to you know the, I, I wanted to be an announcer I wanted to be on the air I wanted to be a writer I wanted to be a photographer I wanted to do a lot of things but the idea of doing a, a wrestling talk show uh, really lit me up like I said and then when I was admitted to uh, Graham Junior College when I got that, I got that acceptance letter and I'm going to tell you a story real fast, which not very many, many people know. I think I covered it in my book, uh, Matt memories, but um, I was not a good student in high school. I mean, I really was uh, not good academically. I was hardly ever there. I was absent all the time. I never took an SAT. I, 
I'd go in the front door and leave in the back door. I mean, uh, so I wasn't good. Uh, and, um, uh, but I had wrestling, you know, wrestling was kind of my thing. And I was in the middle of the Blassie fan club. I started writing freelance stuff, but uh, I had to beg a couple of teachers to give me a passing grade so I would graduate. And then, you know, here we go. I mean, I had no plans of college. I had no idea what I was going to do. And, and um, I took a job at a, at a factory called S. Klein's. It was a department store. I was on the loading dock and it was in the middle of February. I never forget it. I was freezing out on the loading dock and, and I'm like, I don't like this. And, and there was a, a guy who was me- a little mentally challenged who I was working with and we we're on a truck and there was a bunch of pallets with uh, tin garbage cans on them. And he, he messed it up and the whole pallet fell over and missed me by a couple of inches. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? So the next day I went back to my old high school and I asked to see my old guidance counselor. Her name was Miss Sidlow. And I, she said she'd see me. I went in there and I was like, Miss Sidlow, I, I want to go to college. <laughs> and I, I'm already graduated now. I'm already gone. I'm already eight months out of high school. And she goes, shouldn't you have thought of that while you were here at West Babylon High School? Uh, I said, yeah, but I got to, I got to do something with my life. I mean, and, and, uh, and she asked me what I would want to do. And I said, I like radio, I like television, I like writing, I like journalism. And uh, about a week later, she calls me up at home and she goes, well, John, she goes, um, there's one school that might take you because they'll take anyone. And that's how she put it to me. <laughs> and it was Graham Junior College in Boston. It was a little, uh, you know, 2000 student private communication school that specialized in radio, television, the performing arts. And I filled out an application and I put a bunch of wrestling magazines with my stories in them, wrote them a nice letter. And a few weeks later, I get admitted to Graham Junior College in 1975. And uh, so, I mean, that was kind of, that was the, the event that really changed my life. Wow. Uh, that really did. And, and once I got to the school, I mean, I was able to reinvent myself. I was a shy kid in high school, never talked to anyone. And, and, uh, and, and there I am, I'm, there's a college radio station. There's a college, you know, TV station, there's the college newspaper. And, and I'm like, I'm diving into all of this, but what really, uh, what really interested in me was like, was that the, the college radio station was like a real station that news, that music, that had sports. And I'm like, well, maybe this, maybe I could do this wrestling radio show here. And, um, uh, and I also had radio broadcasting classes and, and uh, before the uh, auditions, I mean, uh, I was assigned to do this kind of project from my radio broadcasting class. And, and it really turned out, to be a pilot for pro wrestling spotlight. And, um, and so that's where it started, you know, and I I was able to um, use that little demo tape and I presented it to the music director, a guy named Vinnie Kais and the program director, a guy named Paul Manchester, who uh, eventually still could be in the radio industry. I still keep in touch with Vinnie. Uh, and they liked this demo that Bob was going to play a little bit of. And, uh, but one guy didn't like it, and that was the sports director. And, that was, uh, uh, and he was a little person. 
you know, similar to like a Lord Littlebrook. And his name was Lester Singleton. And he absolutely hated pro wrestling. Didn't want nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with pro wrestling. And um, But the program director and the music director were both wrestling fans. So I got pro wrestling spotlight on WCSB at the time in Boston. Wow. So uh, anyway, Bob, we I sent you a bunch of stuff. and Yeah, and, uh, there's a ton of stuff here. I, I, I'll just throw a quick two cents in. We both did college radio. I did it too. Uh, I did it in community college and also at SUNY Brockport, upstate New York. You, you on the air. Yeah, on the air. Had my own. But although, you know, the, the community college show went as far as the rec room and the uh, cafeteria. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it was just the width of the college was was the. But I, I thought it was worth it because one day this really beautiful girl walked into my booth and said, I just want you to know that you're my favorite DJ here. Wow. And she walked away and I went, oh, yeah. man, this is, I went, this is all worth it, man. <laughs> but that, I, that, that was the height of my radio career. I, I actually went to college for communications and uh, never pursued it once I left. So, you know, I, life gets in the way, you know. Yeah. I had uh-huh. a similar one with, uh, I went to uh, my first college, Herkimer Community College, and I had a, uh, I used to do sports reports. And I remember one week I had a special guest in the studio with me. Tom Burke from Ring Magazine. Tom Burke. <laughs> Tom came up to visit, and um, funny story. Uh, we were talking about wrestling. That again, it was the the student center, the cafeteria. You know, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And um, there was a girl that came in um, that did some work at the station, and I can remember looking through the glass. and And I said to Burke, I said. I'm going to marry that girl. I ended up asking her out and 40 years later, I'm still with her. Wow. Wow. What a great yeah. story. That is a great and, story. And, and one other story, when I was there, like you, John, I got involved with a school newspaper and I, I wanted to do a story on wrestling. And I remember having a conversation uh, with Killer Kowalski and, and, and he had said basically, uh, Oh, you know, we all get along, you know, when we're not in the ring and blah, blah, blah. And I put that there and and I had a nice picture of him with his tights with the lightning bolt on it. And I sent them that story and he was angry. He thought oh, I yeah. exposed the business. This was 1979. Yeah. And he thought I exposed the business. And um, good thing, uh, several years later. Uh, two years later, when I went to stay at his home, he never remembered that or forgot about oh, it or whatever like that. <laughs> so, Thank goodness, Don. Uh, yeah. yeah. You don't yeah. want Killer Kowalski mad at you. <laughs> and you get the claw. Oh, heavens. It's crazy. But, uh, yeah, I had a couple of special, interesting um, special guests on this little pilot uh, documentary on the world of wrestling. So, uh, Bob, why don't we uh, – Yeah, let, we're going to go – Let's We're going go right to go back into 1975, man. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to go back to my upstate accent here. We used to call it theater, not yeah. theater, but theater. And we also used to call it Italian bread, not Italian. I don't know why. That's, right. That's where I come from. That's there where I come go. from. But anyway, here's you're going to hear the voice of very, very young Mr. John Rizzi, and you're going to have to crane your ear a little bit because he sounds a little different. So let's go to the clip right now. Welcome to a documentary on the most controversial of all sports, professional wrestling. Listening now to John Arezi, Jim Brown, and Karen Weaver as they discuss and present the story of professional wrestling. 
as I said earlier, pro wrestling is controversial, no question about that. Why is it controversial? Their answer is that many critics claim that professional wrestling has no business calling itself a sport because of its showmanship, gimmickry, and reports of its being fixed. Thus, none of the media here in Boston cover wrestling on a close level. There are two major questions to be discussed here. The first is, is professional wrestling a sport? To get an answer, we contacted a member of the State Athletic Commission's, Mr. Mel Phillips from Philadelphia. Since Massachusetts does not have a commission, we had to go to another state. Do you feel like pro wrestling is a sport? Well, I would say definitely that pro wrestling is a sport because uh, being a member of the State Athletic Commission, and uh, one of our jobs is to supervise and sanction athletic and sports events. And since wrestling does fall under that title for the state of Pennsylvania, then uh, how can you speculate that it's uh, not a sport? Since the Athletic Commission sanctioned the matches, pro wrestling must be considered a sport. All wrestlers have to be licensed by the commissions to be able to wrestle in states that have state athletic commissions. But what about it being fixed or not? A lot of people say that uh, if professional wrestling is fixed, then it must be rehearsed, and that's not true. Because if this were the case, then it wouldn't be necessary to have guidelines which would later lead to suspension of licenses and uh, the issuing of fines and uh, eventual uh, suits against a particular individual if all of this was rehearsed, because then no one would ever get hurt. That is only one person's opinion. Ask many others and you will get other opinions, most of which claim that pro wrestling is fake. There is no one who I have tried to contact who can prove to us that pro wrestling is fixed. How can it be proved? As a wrestler I've asked said about disbelievers on pro wrestling and its followers, quote, For those who believe pro wrestling is real, no explanation is necessary. For those who do not believe, no explanation that I give or that anyone gives will do, unquote. It just has to be left up to the person asking the question. It's only an opinion that cannot be answered. If pro wrestling is fixed or isn't, the fact remains that it is one of the most popular sports in the world today. Wow, John. Yeah. You know, I had, I had to listen to that over and over to make sure that was you. Your voice yeah. has changed slightly since then. It's got a little deeper. Now, John, <laughs> How did you get a hold of Mel Phillips, know, or know to contact Mel Phillips? Had you spoken to him earlier? Well, I think at that time, because, uh, you know, being at the garden, I got to know Mel. And, okay. uh, so that was that. And, um, and, you know, I also went to Boston a lot to cover the matches. He was there. Uh, right, right. So we, we, uh, we developed a friendship and, uh, and it is the Mel Phillips. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but no funny business, obviously. The, the the first time that I met you was in July of '75 in Boston, yeah. Yeah. And, and with Mel Phillips was in the room. And and yeah, well, I'll this this was that. this was the 1975 deal uh, that I taped this yeah. thing. So uh, uh, I might have brought him down to the station, and we might have cut an interview there. Or, you know, I don't even remember the details. Uh, uh, and then I do remember him appearing on the Pro Wrestling Spotlight for uh, an entire episode. And um, uh, that was one of the tapes that uh, is no longer with us, unfortunately, because I would have loved to uh, uh, put that up for patrons. But, yeah, it was an interesting thing. And um, that was uh, – uh, it was very scripted, very scripted, as as my early shows were on college. They were, they were written out until I got comfortable and started to add love a little bit. So there we I, go. We got more. I, I'm, I'm kind of stunned because it's like you're already kind of 
ingraining yourself into the wrestling community before you even did these shows because of your, yeah. you know, the magazine articles and things like that. Do I have that right? Oh, yeah. That was the transition. It was fan club president uh, and then uh, freelance writer, photographer for the magazines and and then segued into this, uh, uh, you know, still writing, taking pictures. But then the radio show element was brought into play. And and uh, so that was kind of that progression. Now, did you when you started going to Boston and doing the radio show and taking pictures at the, at the, at the garden or the garden, mm-hmm. uh, where along the line did you kind of get friendly with the grand wizard who lived in Malden, which is in the yeah. Boston area? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was at the garden. It was at the garden shows and, um, you know, it was at the, uh, uh, uh met him through, uh, you know, in the back with George and Bill and those guys. And, and we kind of just, struck up a friendship. And, uh, and so, uh, once, uh, Ernie found out that I was going to go to school in Boston and he told me he was in Malden and, and he was part of that promotional team for the Boston garden. Uh, and I believe, uh, he was, uh, affiliated with, or I don't know what the relationship was, but Bob Harmon, beautiful yes. Bobby, was up there at the same time. Uh, so that's why I got to know the Wiz, and it's ironic you mentioned the Wizard because Bob, I think we had the Wizard on this. Uh, we had the Wizard oh, on this demo. Yes, he is on the very next clip, and uh, this is kind of interesting because I don't want to say he breaks kayfabe here, but he talks about a subject that I think is a sore spot with him in terms of how the so-called legitimate media covered wrestling. Yeah. So let's uh, let's hear from the great Ernie Roth, the great Grand Wizard. But if it is so popular, why doesn't the media cover it like the rest of the sports? The Grand Wizard of Wrestling, a top manager, gives his explanation why. Well, I don't think it's any secret that we get in the average newspaper less publicity than any other sport in the country. I'm not telling tales out of school, but this situation exists right here now in Boston. Ever since I've been up here, we have had tremendous public relations with both newspapers here in town. Last month, a new sports editor came to the Boston Globe. Arbitrarily, he decided that there would be one story in the Boston Globe Sunday before any garden show, and there would be an item this big after the show giving the results. Now, after all the years that we've had great relationship, getting very good publicity, or what you could call publicity, like for wrestling, one man comes into a city, one man arbitrarily decides what you and you and you and you and I are going to read in the paper. He doesn't like wrestling. He thinks because he doesn't like it, therefore, let's not talk about it, let's not print it. But let Jimmy Connors have a bloody nose, and you're going to have headlines all across the paper. So with this decision of the sports editors around, in Boston, there is little or no publicity at all. But in New York City, since 1975, there has been coverage in the two largest papers, the Daily News and New York Post. In the Post, they feature pictures and a summary of all Madison Square Garden matches. On television, coverage is given to Madison Square Garden matches on WCBS and WNEW-TVs every month. The reason being is that pro wrestling is so popular in New York and it draws 32% of the TV audience when it's on. 
Wrestling is popular all over, but it depends where you are and what market you're in for the coverage given. Fascinating. Kind of hard hitting, wasn't it? I mean, seriously, you very, very but but there's <laughs> the thing. I mean, I mean, wrestlers never broached mainstream media back then, and he did. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of a taboo subject, and no one really talked about anything. <laughs> you, no, could never, you could never get anybody out of character. That Wizard's on TV is the Grand Wizard each week, and to get him on uh, this little deal to uh, uh, to kind of talk out of character was kind of interesting. Well, in a way, your introduction to that segment kind of explained why the mainstream media would shy away, because he says, why, why is it mainstream media covering it? We interviewed the Grand Wizard. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay. I, it wasn't exactly Bob Cousy or uh, Will Chamberlain. It was the Grand Wizard. Yes, so it was. That it kind was. of gives you a hint as to why some people might go, "What? What is this all about?" You know. Yeah. You know, listening listening to the Wiz that uh, I've said before on, on this uh, show that you know he was right there, one of my all time favorites, uh, and he was a sweetheart of a guy. He always was pleasant. If he got to know you, he'd always say hello. He always, he, he, like when we had the WFA convention and there were no wrestlers there, uh, uh, Butcher Vashon, of course, came one day, but the wizard was there for the, for the banquet and was just, you know, just wonderful. Um, I got to meet him several times. And I remember on my um, 17th birthday, I was up there and, and they had a, a, a cake for me and, uh, a wonderful lady by the name of Marilyn Neitzel, who was a friend to yeah. all the wrestlers. Yep. She brought the whiz over as they were singing happy birthday to me, along with Mel Phillips singing happy birthday to me. I mean, it was just it's these things like today that just make me smile and laugh. So just a wonderful man. He was a, he was a dear friend. I mean, he was instrumental in so many things, uh, not just appearing on the pro wrestling spotlight, uh, you know, on this little college station. I mean, he would come on uh, anytime I would ask to come on and he was great that way and he helped me navigate through some of the um uh trials and tribulations uh i'd have up in the new england area because there were other factions there uh in particular angelo savoldi uh who you know didn't see eye to eye with him and there might have been a power struggle up in new england and uh, so, uh, you know, I, I found a whole bunch of my old, I used to have to write college journals, um, uh, as part of a, a class project. And I found those. And, uh, uh, when I started, uh, covering matches up there, Angelo Saboldi said he didn't want me to do anything with Ernie. I mean, it was just kind of this thing. And then, and then, uh, you know, but Ernie was always there for me and always helped. And he was also the guy that I actually called up um, when I wanted to get into the ring. So he's the one that kind of set up that whole thing. The first thing he asked me was like, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to get in the ring? What's the matter with you? You know, and I'm like, I just want to give it a shot, see what it is. And he's the one that reached out to uh, Monsoon, who was the booker in Philly, and uh, set me up for the January 10th, 1978 debacle when I was in the ring with Dusty and <laughs> my via strongbow that whole that that one night of infamy um but yeah it was it was a great guy and um uh, so yeah i mean it was an interesting time in my life but uh you know the show was accepted to go on the air we had a saturday slot 5 to 6 p.m uh, i immediately had problems with the um uh sports director uh, lester singleton who'd call my show and uh debate wrestling with me almost Every week he'd say something negative about it. And 
until one episode. Uh, it was uh, around December, I think, of 75. And uh, it was uh, him arguing, wrestling with me. And, and when he hung up under my breath, which I didn't think would go out on the air, uh, I, I just whispered, uh, the first initial of the, of the word was C, and the last was R. So it was blank sucker was what I said. And it went out over the air. And, uh, oh, gosh. And that was, uh, that was a big problem because uh, then we got called in to, uh, you know, the, uh, the people who ran the station. It got suspended. Uh, and, uh, and, and the funniest part of the story was that uh, that same night there was a Christmas party in the dorm. And Lester, little Lester, <laughs> uh, had heard that I, you know, called him the blank sucker. Uh, and I get go into a dorm room for a party, and he's <clears throat> there drunk off his his keister. He's drunk <laughs> off his ass, and he had a little Santa Claus hat on. And he stood up when he saw me. He goes, "You call me a blank sucker. You call me a blank sucker." And he started chasing me like he was gonna fight me. And you know, everyone was cracking up laughing. And here's this, you know, this little guy chasing me around, which I, you know, I was about two hundred ten pounds to twenty, whatever I was at the time. And uh, it was quite the debacle. And uh, uh, but anyway, <laughs> just an adventure from college. But uh, uh, you know, it was kind of great in a lot of ways with the pro wrestling spotlight in that first uh, early uh, few semesters in 75 and into 76, uh, because guys like Bill Apter would really help me. I mean, uh, I got to know Bill really well and, uh, and, and, and he was doing some incredible interviews. And, and even before 1975, Bill was interviewing guys on oh, tape yeah. Oh, yeah. the early, early seventies, including, a clip that I that I put on the pro wrestling spotlight in 1975 that uh, went back, and I'll let Bob explain what that clip was. It was very very historic, and he gave me permission to use it. And to this day, I still I I get cold, I get cold chills when I hear it. Well, I I think that one of the things that ingratiated Bill, um, as you know, uh, or as the listeners may or may not know, I worked with Bill Apter for about six years. As you know, when I worked with Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the family of magazines from London, London Publishing. Um, Bill um, is replaying these, these interviews now, I believe on YouTube and in other, other sources, you can hear these things. But how, how, did, how do you get him to give you an interview for your show? He offered it. He just offered it. So he, yeah. needed, he probably needed a place for it to be heard, I guess, at that point. Yeah, I mean, I, you know... I told him what I was doing, and and he, of course he saw me every month at Garden, and when I was explaining to him, and he, then he said, "I have these really cool, uh, you know, tapes, and if you want to use any of them, and you let me know." And and then all of a sudden he's like, "You know, I have this. I'll let Bob introduce it." But uh, I was like, "Absolutely, let's see if I could get it. You know, if I could get permission to use that, uh, I think people will really dig it." Well, this is huge because it's like an interview with. Uh... <clears throat> With um, Bruno San Martino after he lost to Ivan Koloff. I mean, it's that, not a long that night. It was yeah, that night. It's, yeah, it's just a couple oh. of quotes. But this is, I believe, the only time. I mean, this is real school it's stuff. The only, for its, time. it's the only known audio of Bruno San Martino right after he got pinned by Ivan Koloff on January eighteenth, nineteen seventy-one. 
Now I will, I will let you, the listeners here know that as we move forward, the clips, some of the sound quality is a little rough, but it's worth hanging with this stuff because of the historic nature of what's about to be said and heard here. It's I mean, really what I when I saw was this old. Yeah, like sixty years old, or no, is it's fifty years old? It's fifty years old. Real old. We'll put it that way. Uh, 71, 81, 91, 01, 11, 21, 50, 50 years old. Yep. Yep. So let's let's hear a few words from Bill after and hear these amazing quotes. The night that Bruno San Martino lost the WWF title. I was stunned to hear post-match talk about yeah. those those yeah. historic moments. Now, what was Bill recording this for? Was it for uh, writing articles, or where where was he? Well, he at? was uh, he was with uh, Stanley Weston. Uh, he was working for Stanley. And, yes, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I believe he had just he started. Had, I think he started in '71, if my memory serves correctly. It was a whole story. I mean, we should bring Bill on one night to discuss it. But I mean, he was tipped off that this was going to happen, I think. Uh, and that's what he said. And I think he said it publicly or maybe, you know, speaking out of turn here, but, uh, and he, you know, made sure he had the tape recorder there and he got the interviews and, and he even had that play by play at the clip in the, in the, at the end that Bruno had lost. So it's fascinating. I'm sure had, I'm sure Bill has some better quality stuff. So it would be kind of great to bring him on to play some of that incredible historic audio that he had with these guys. And, you know, for me at my little college radio station where, you know, you, you make a phone call into uh, the house phone, extension 230, <laughs> uh, to, the, to the program or, you know, the limited uh, reach, you know, we only were heard in Kenmore Square, which was where the dorm was. I mean, that was the only place you could hear uh, WCSB radio, the college station. And, and uh um, uh, it was just, you know, very limited audience, but it was popular in the dorm. And but Nani, uh, I remember your prom- one promotional item you had. I, uh, I had for years and years, I saved, uh, you had a, a mimeograph, uh, announcement of your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in blue and it was, looks <laughs> like it was handwritten. And yeah. man, that's one of the things I saved for decades. You know, I had this promotional, wow. um, uh, because it rest, of course, radio shows back then were just you know almost non-existent, and it was like the size of a, a regular piece of you know paper, mm-hmm. and uh, it was you know uh, advertising your wrestling show at a time and all that was on. 
That's crazy stuff. I might have been passing some of those things out at the Boston Garden. I mean, that's maybe probably that's where I got it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, trying to get an audience built up in a in a you know with a radio show that can be heard for a couple blocks, <laughs> which is crazy. Uh, not too unlike WNYG later on in my career, but uh, yeah, the pro wrestling spotlight was a lot of fun, and and people the dorm the kids in the dorm, a lot of closet wrestling fans would call in every week and. My buddies would call up and ask questions, and it was it was fun. So uh, after the first uh, semester, the first couple semesters of college, you know, you get a summer break and you come back. Now we're in 1976. Uh, I was uh, very pleased to find out that uh, they gave me another year uh, with the show, and they were different program director, different um, music director, because you know the other guys graduated. Uh, but uh, I was able to get back on the air. So now we have uh, John's College Radio Show in Boston and the first show of the second season and the opener from that. And we'll go to that right now. Hello there, wrestling fans of Boston. Welcome to another exciting season of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Right here where music is our life and wrestling is mine, WCSB. It's great to be back for our second season, and I plan to make it as exciting, even more so than last year. This is the very first show of our new season, and we have much to report on in the wild world of, of professional wrestling. Hi, my name is John Arezzi, better known as Mr. Wrestling, and I'm your host of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Today's show will feature interviews with Freddie Blassie and new and hated manager Dave Drayson. Also on the show will be a report on the big wrestling show I attended Monday night in New York's Madison Square Garden. Results from all over the world, ratings, previews of upcoming shows, including tonight's big one at the Boston Garden, and much, much more. I'd like to mention that we are live in the WCSB studios today, and anyone out there who would like to give us a call to talk about anything on professional wrestling, the greatest sport in the world, just dial 230 on the house phone in uh, either Kenmore or Levitt Hall, or outside 267-1042. I'll be happy to talk to anyone about anything concerning professional wrestling. Hmm. Nice intro there, Mr. Wrestling. Yeah, I was a little bit more, um, a little bit more fluid in my delivery uh, for the second season. Very excited to be back on the air. And uh, now you yeah. mentioned going to Madison Square Garden. Did you go to the Garden to get back to Boston? Did you drive? Did you have a train? Did you take always the train. Oh, the train or the Greyhound. Yeah. Yep. yep. I'd co- I'd go home for the weekend. Uh, the Monday night was the Garden show, and then uh, I went right back to to Boston. Yeah. Mm. It was an interesting time. I was much younger. I could travel mm-hmm. on a train, a bus. It doesn't matter, sure. just as long as I could yeah. see wrestling. I, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so it was kind of cool. And, uh, you know, and over the course of the summer, you were able to do interviews and tape some stuff. And and so for the second season of the show, we had some really interesting things. And I, and I was, and I was, you know, I had the backstage access, but I was still, uh, I was still really kind of nervous when we did those interviews backstage. I didn't quite feel comfortable uh, talking uh, to the guy. So I had to rely on, you know, guys like George Napolitano and of course, Bill, uh, unless Bill wanted an exclusive and then you couldn't be near him or the wrestler. Uh, But, uh, uh, and I think we have a really interesting clip from that first show with Lassie, right, Bob? Yeah. This this is my favorite of the entire show because you've got uh, uh, yourself and George uh, talking with the great Freddie Blassie at his most brazen worst or his best, depending on how you look at it, John. 
Very cool. Now you want, yeah, you know, nobody liked Blassie and, you know, everybody knows my history with him and uh, it was always great to even be in his presence. Shall we get to the clip? Let's do it. I guess considering the main event tonight, Bruno versus Hanson, it's appropriate that I play our first interview right now with Hanson's manager, Freddie Blassie. This interview was right after Stan broke Bruno's neck at the Garden in New York. The interviews, the interviewers are yours truly and fellow wrestling reporter, George Napolitano. Right now, listen to furious Freddie Blassie. Bruno San Martino's laid up 
you know, his neck just snapped like He looks a lot better with it tilted over to the side, you know. But you better be careful when he walks out in the rain so he don't get a lot of water in that ear because the head's tilted to one side. Fred Blassie, everybody. Holy smokes. Nobody like him, man. There was nobody like Freddie Blassie, you know, and I know with the with the uh, the fashion plate, you know, the the pink, the sequins, uh, you know, you would think somebody wore baby blue and, and hot pink um, <laughs> <laughs> would not be the uh, the roughhouser and the tough guy that Freddie Blassie was. 
But he and was, you know, he he reinvented himself too. Not after wrestling, he was a dominant manager for many years, oh, so yeah. uh, he kept relevant for a long time. But a lot of really sequined ring outfits and the cane, yeah. and you know, he traditionally only managed guys from overseas countries. And I mean, he had that anti-American thing for whatever the, whatever that gimmick was. But uh, nobody liked him, and you know, what a long, full life that that man led. Yeah. John, he once did a local pr uh, promo when I lived up in Albany uh, on WRGB Schenectady when the WWF was on that network or that station. Mm -hmm. And he did such a wild interview that he actually picked up a wooden folding chair and broke it over his own head. Did you ever, <laughs> see, did you ever see him do that? Oh, no, I never saw him do that. It was amazing. I would have liked to. It was amazing. <laughs> I've never seen anything quite like it. He got into a, a foaming at the mouth frenzy screaming about what he was going to do to Chief Jay Strongo and picked up. And for all the – you could hear the wood hit the floor. I think he literally broke the folding chair over his own head no, for a local you. promo for an arena that held maybe 2,000 people. Wow. Nobody I'd liked Wes. I'd love to have seen that. That was amazing. I never forgot it my whole life, man. It was incredible. Very memorable. Don, really? did you have any encounters with Freddie? I did. and In fact, uh, my, my happiest moments are – when I would see him outside the Edison Hotel in Manhattan, and there would be a half a dozen people there waiting to get things signed or have a picture taken with him, he was very uh, benevolent with his time. He he posed with everybody, and this is when he was, you know, a heel. But he was very polite, um, and I would see him at times going into the Holland Hotel. A couple of times I saw him with his wife, and uh, he there too would. would uh, take the time to sign autographs. Um, just And then the last time I saw Fred was uh, at a Cauliflower Alley banquet they had in Elizabeth, New Jersey. This was in 1996. Mm -hmm. And Fred was there, and he had a beautiful silk suit on that he had. And he, he sat at the table by himself, and people would come up to him. And he was so gracious that people you know, were talking to him about his career and all. Just a, a wonderful statesman, um, uh, you know, for wrestling. Yeah, and a beloved, uh, beloved figure and a beloved person in the uh, McMahon family. That's why they, they kept him around to the very end. Wasn't he supposedly one of the, I think it was five people that Vince Sr. told his son, you know, this guy gets a check forever. Yeah, I think he was not there, but of course, Stephanie and uh, Shane uh, kind of looked at him like a grandfather figure, and Vince uh, McMahon Jr. loved the man himself. So very, very cool, very nice of them to take care of him, and Freddie was not one to save his money. And I recently learned that um, uh, Fred is actually uh, where he's buried in St. Louis. There's not even a grave marker for him. Hmm. he's really? in between. Yeah. There was a guy who sent me a clip from YouTube who went to uh, the gravesite of, of the great Freddie Blassie. And oh. there's no, there's no headstone and there's no marking. Well, I, and he, he went to the office that, you know, Fred Blassie's buried here. This is where he is, but there's no headstone and there's no grave marker. Now, as far as it. I know, Johnny, he had two children, a boy and a girl. In the, in the Missouri, St. Louis area. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His daughter was a teacher uh, for many years in the St. Louis area, and his son was um, uh, some type of forest ranger or something like that. 
how that that's a whole nother story, I guess. Is how does how does the, the the kids don't have a headstone for their dad? I don't know. I know that's, he's in between two other families, and um, that's and, a shame. There's, there's just nothing there other than dirt. So um, maybe that's something for us to kind of look into uh, yeah. down the road because I was shocked when I saw that, uh, and that actually happened about I think it was uh, about a week ago. This guy got a, got a hold of me and says, "Here's you know, here's yeah. what I just did, and he's got no marker." So crazy anyway bob uh we'll continue on with uh uh with maybe yeah. a little bit of a lighter subject well, now we- we're talking about wrestling from 1976 yeah we're continuing on with this october 9 1976 show and you're going to give an editorial about the three world wrestling champions of the time and everybody's favorite stat ratings everybody Yay. loves ratings of course everybody needs a top 10 man so let's find out what was happening for all those who don't know there are three world champions in professional wrestling today Bruno San Martino was the champion of the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Terry Funk is the champion of the National Wrestling Alliance, the biggest group in the world. And Nick Bockwinkel is the American Wrestling Association champion. Since one champion cannot travel all over the United States due to how many times he wrestles a week, there are different alliances that claim the champs. The big three, of course, the AWA, which covers the Midwest, Minnesota, Chicago, and parts of Canada. The Tri-WF, Worldwide Wrestling Federation in this area covers the entire Northeast from Washington, D.C. to Maine, and also some parts of Canada, Toronto. The Southwest, West Coast, Central U.S., and a lot of overseas belong to the biggest alliance in the world, the National Wrestling Alliance. There have been negotiations between the big three. They merged together to have one worldwide recognized champ. But in my opinion, it will be quite some time before this agreement is made. This is a situation similar to the AL and NL in baseball, AFC and NFC in pro football, and the NBA, ABA in basketball. If they can merge these three alliances in wrestling, it might help, but it's a long way off in my opinion. One more thing about the championships in wrestling. There are countless different titles, from state champs to brass knuckles title holders. This is what makes wrestling great. You can always be assured of seeing a champion in action in most parts of the country. It makes the sport more exciting to watch than any other, I feel. Okay, let's take a look at the ratings now in the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Our champion is Bruno Sammartino. The Pro Wrestling Spotlight has rated Stan Hansen, the number one challenger, as he meets Bruno tonight at the Boston Garden. The number two challenger, Bruiser Frank Brody, and he's in a tie with Nikolai Volkov for that number two spot. Third on the list, the man who just returned to the East Coast after an absence of two years, Stan the Man Stasiak. And if fans remember, Bruno is the man who won the title from Stasiak back in 73, December 10th, after Stasiak defeated Puerto Rican sensation Pedro Morales. Fourth man in the ratings, Polish power personified Ivan Putski. And Boston area fans are disappointed that Mr. Putski won't be able to make it tonight. He'll be rest- He's wrestling today in Sunnyside Gardens in New York and also in Passaic, New Jersey. The fifth man on the list for the ratings, Chief J. Strongbow. Number six, Executioner number one, followed by Billy Whitewolf. Bobo Brazil is number eight, tied in ninth position, Gorilla Monsoon and Victor Rivera. Number ten, a new man, Ga- Gashouse Gilbert, who just came in from the south. Number eleven, Pete Sanchez. Baron Sakuna's 12th, Kevin Sullivan from Lexington, Massachusetts is 13th, 14th, Manuel Soto and tied for 15th place in the Worldwide Wrestling Federation ratings, Rough, Johnny Rods, and Young Davey O'Hannon. The tag team ratings, the number one challengers to the executioners are Indians, Chief J, Strongbow, and Billy Whitewolf, and tonight may be the night that that title will finally change hands. If the executioners keep getting disqualified, though, I don't think that's going to happen for quite some time. The number two team are Gorilla Monsoon and Victor Rivera teaming up all over the East Coast. Third team, Stan Hansen and Frank Brody. These two were the United States Tag Team Champions in the Midwest before they came East. 
fourth tag team, Manuel Soto and Pete Sanchez, the High Flyers as they're called, and the fifth team, Johnny Rods and Dave Johannan. This is a young team, preliminary team, but they're on their way up in the wrestling ratings. You were better than the magazines, John. You were right up to the moment. Hey, you know, I read a lot of magazines too, but, uh, you know, I put my own little input into those ratings and, uh, of course, the three world champions. I was always hoping, beyond hope, that there would be a unification uh, situation that never happened. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, three world champions and uh, the big three, AWA, NWA, and WWWF. That was that was the scene back then. And uh, cool stuff. I, I, I like that segment. That That's the type of stuff I would buy the wrestling magazines to read. And so, so if you're doing it over the radio, I mean, that's that's – yeah, that's what Don Libel went on to do on your show years later, I guess. That's right. He did the news, the news capsule, which has now been renamed the time capsule. The time capsule. Yeah, and and you know when you talk about the ratings, also what you bought the magazines for. I just wanted to throw this in there. Remember in Inside Wrestling, they used to have pen pals. Sure. And, and I had a mat in one of the issues. My picture was in there next to my brother's on the same uh, issue. Um, it was probably 1974, and was I was Missy, Missy Hyde in that one. Uh, no, I don't remember that. My my favorite wrestler listed was King Curtis. That shows you when <laughs> when, when that was. Yeah. Wow. I, I used to like the pen pal section, Chris. It was always a bunch of teenagers, mm-hmm. right, and one 73 year old guy in every <laughs> every. <laughs> There was yes. one old guy in the little circle. Favorite wrestler, you know, circle, wrestler, George, yeah, favorite yeah. wrestler, George Hackenschmidt. You know, it was just, it was, <laughs> it, 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 it's just the way it worked out. That's why well, we, we have one more clip from that show, and it's guess who it is? It's a, it's a, somebody who would be, become one of the favorites on the pro wrestling spotlight as the years went on. It was superstar Billy Graham. I remember that um, it was when Billy first got into town and it could have been his first garden show um, because I remember taking him to get his license with George Napolitano at the Athletic Commission. And and I think in this clip, Bob, Billy's really out of character. I mean, he's not uh, the flamboyant superstar Billy Graham. He's talking pretty subtly about all of of everything. Yes, he's very sedate, I think the word Very sedate, yes, very focused. So, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, let's give this one a listen. Here we go. Our last interview of the, day, of the day is with the one and only superstar Billy Graham. This is the surprise interview of the day. So listen now to the one and only superstar Billy Graham. This is the whole thing behind uh, the reason I'm here from the very start, man. The last of Juno Astrophone. You were just coming out of Minnesota where you had Vern Gagne as an opponent, and then you say, made, made your ways. And you were wrestling in a different style. Well, what brought about the change? Well, the, actually, a uh, small change, uh, uh, if you want to call it a change, uh, would be in the, in the fans' uh, reaction to me. My style actually didn't change. I was still uh, still myself, still dressed the same, looked the same, talked the same, acted the same, uh, thought the same. It was the fans who, uh, who uh, uh, have reversed their decisions uh, at times about me, you see. So it really wasn't me that changed it. How did you change the color of your head, though? Uh, I can't. I can't really uh, give you a particular reason. 
the man, the man uh, uh, must have 40 years of wrestling experience behind him. That's the only thing I can think of because I certainly outpowered him, uh, out endurance the man, and uh, uh, maybe hometown favorism, or hometown uh, that type of a situation. You know, Ghana orientated people. You see. Billy, how about down in Texas? You had a five thousand dollar check out to anybody for arm wrestling that could uh, feel they could get into the center of the ring and out to you in arm wrestling. You claim to be the uh, greatest arm wrestler in the world. Top opponents like Ken Patera and Andre the Giant. Now that you're here in New York, do you have any anticipation of getting Bruno San Martino to meet your challenge, or do you even expect to pose it to him? Yeah, I, the challenge is open. Uh, uh, Bruno, uh, I've heard through the grapevine that Bruno has never been beaten in arm wrestling, and he's arm wrestled uh, a lot of people around the world, and uh, he himself, quoting he himself, has never been beaten, and I've never been beaten, and, uh, and I just think I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the champion of the world. And I do issue a challenge actually publicly to him. Uh, to uh, uh, match me financially, and I would not like to bet five thousand. I'd like to bet twenty-five thousand dollars. I want this to go down as a quote on record: twenty-five thousand dollars. If Bruno will come up with come up with the cash, meet me in an arm wrestling contest, twenty-five thousand dollars to the winner. But it's been said that uh, when you did, did arm wrestle with Ken Patera, he threw rocks in his face and made you, you become the winner. Uh, well, there's a lot of things that have been said, a lot of, a lot of differences of opinion. But, but what happened was I put Kim Patera down. I beat the man in arm wrestling. I was the winner. And uh, there's a lot of, like I said, favoritism, hometown people. They hate to see the boy get beat. And so, you know, they probably thought a flying saucer came down, hit him in the head, you know. Okay, over here you managed by the Green Wizard, I understand. you never had a manager before, right? Yeah, I've never had a manager before. Uh, uh, but the reason for me picking the Grand Wizard is his knowledge of the East Coast. The man has been back here. He knows the conditions, the negotiations, the contracts, uh, the, the style of wrestling back here. And I actually feel that it might possibly be an advantage to me uh, to use his knowledge, you see, use his experience of being uh, around the East Coast, you know, being in and out of the arenas, managing other people, knowing the system back here, knowing uh, how, uh, what wrestlers, uh, uh, what their favorite uh, moves are. And because when I'm, at, when I'm after Bruno, I'm, I'm looking for uh, all the assistance, all the all the knowledge, all the history I can get, you see. So uh, it seems to me like this is the man. Superstar, just prior to your arrival in New York, Dr. Jerry Graham was here, also managed by the Grand Wizard of Wrestling. Is there any chance of us seeing the two of you back together in the ring as a team? No, there's no chance at all because I, uh, 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 my older brother uh, is actually the twilight of his career. Uh, I'm my career just beginning physically, mentally, uh, spiritually, any way you want to put it. Uh, the man, uh, uh, you know, in all due respect, he was great, fantastic in his time, in his era, but at this time, it's a new generation, man, a new movement, and it's the movement of superstar for the ground. Okay, it's been said that you, you possess one of the world's greatest physiques, and you've been doing many bodybuilding contests also. Can you, can you fill us in on some of your uh, training routines or some possibly some connection with your bodybuilding? Yeah, uh, I, I train... Uh, uh, I travel all around the country and wrestle, but everywhere I go, I train gymnasiums, YMCA's, uh, three, four hours every day, sacrifice, uh, uh, give up leisure uh, time, uh, watch my diet because I have a goal, and that, that goal is to be uh, uh, officially uh, have the, the greatest physique in the world, and uh, just like uh, the goal uh, is to be Bruno San Martino for the World Championship, uh, you see, you got to work towards those goals, so uh, the physique, when I, just imagine that when I... When I do beat Bruno, when I beat Bruno San Martino, take his belt away from him, and have the greatest body in the world, what would that do for wrestling, man? 
it'll, it'll make it the sport that it really is. I, it'll finally get the recognition, you see, with me as the champion and the greatest body behind it. Do you understand you're going to some kind of competition with Dan Lurie? Yeah, yeah I'll, be, I'll be competing in the Professional Mr. America contest uh, September 13th in New York. Uh, Dan Lurie, president of the World Bodybuilding Guild, and that'll be my first competition uh, as a uh, first stepping stone to uh, later on the Mr. Universe, Mr. World contest. How'd you, how'd you get him that? I don't know. He seems so at ease there. It was George. He was buddies with George, and he was comfortable with George, and... Uh, and I was just there for the ride. I mean, you know, I didn't put it together. I mean, I was there with George and we hung out all day. And, um, you know, when Billy came in and we just, uh, we hung out. And uh, I know, I don't, I, it could have been the same appearance where Bill took him down to Times Square and took pictures of him standing on. Well, that was uh, phenomenal, that picture. Yeah, that was, uh, that was the same time frame. It could have been the same day or the day after the garden show. Cause I know Bill, took him to Times Square for an exclusive, and he took some wonderful shots of Billy. And, John, remember at that same time, uh, Scott Epstein's magazine, Dan Laurie were coming out with their wrestling magazine, and they really pushed Billy Graham at that time as well. Pro Wrestling Illustrated. No, Pro yeah. Wrestling wrestling Training Illustrated was That's the name it. of that. Mm -hmm. I remember these Bill After photos. He was in, like, Times Square, and he had fans around him. I remember yeah. those pictures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they're cl <laughs> classic to this day. I can't remember how much I remember about the magazines I read. Like I, like Donnie's first story wrote about <laughs> Silvano Sosa. I remember everything I've read. I was such a fan of the magazines long before I worked for him. I'll tell you that much. I, I think everybody listening is probably the same way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the people who are listening to this uh, uh, show, I mean, they're, they're, they're collectors. And, uh, you know, the patrons also get vintage magazines. I do auctions on Facebook. And mm -hmm. a lot of these magazines that we're talking about, you know, people buy to this day and, and they just revere. I got to give a shout out to the wrestler weekly guys on YouTube, not YouTube, excuse me, Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, they're always rerunning pages of ratings from the old magazines. And I always get such a kick out of them, you know, from the 75, 76, 77, the old school books. They were taken was, seriously. Yeah. And didn't, didn't they do ratings for midgets too at a time? I, I think I remember that. I don't I don't recall that really. And, and, I think yeah. Wrestling World might have done that. Yeah. And yeah. I'm wondering how do you get how did you get 10 or whatever, you know? Um but everybody had it. their own uh, way of doing the ratings and uh, some were more elaborate than others, but uh, those are hey, good, Bob, good era. I stick with the ratings and Bob, when you did that, mm -hmm. did anybody ever try to offer any type of payola to get in the ratings or to get in the top 500 that you did? I'm not no. saying it's cash or anything, but anybody ever try to coerce you to get in the ratings? No, but I will say this. Uh, there were a couple of ex exceptions in a different way. A young wrestler named Chris Candido, um, his second year in the Peterborough, he went down instead of up, and he was he was kind of upset about it. And I don't remember if he called me or if I saw him in Memphis, one or the other. My memory is a little fuzzy. And he said, I went down the ratings and I explained, well, you disappeared for a while. And I guess you switched federations. You weren't at the time we were writing it. You weren't around. He said, well, OK. And another one, we we had a computer snafu one year. And for some reason, Diamond Dallas Page did not appear in the, in the PWI 500. And I actually spoke to him backstage in an NWA arena. So it's at that point when I realized people are taking this thing seriously, man. Mm -hmm. It really did. From the minute we came out with it, it became 
something that um, to this day, I think is probably their most popular issue they come out with every year. It has to be because everybody talks about it. I, I, you know, people look at it with varying degrees of, of seriousness, but I, I think it means something. And uh, like I said, I'm always kind of proud that, that we I helped establish something that meant something to wrestling fans. And I, I you know, it's kind of cool. Interesting stuff, but we're going to go now. Uh, now this, we're this gonna, one, yeah, we're going to fast forward to the future, and I'll give everybody uh, kind of an overview of what we're about to listen to and and how it all happened. Uh, I was living. Uh, I moved to the Carolinas uh, in the early '80s uh, to work in the New York Mets, and then met Patty Loveless and quit the job with the Mets to start managing her. and And uh, then around 1984. I was uh, a manager of a band named Panic, which was kind of a new wave band down in uh, the Carolinas and managed them uh, throughout 84 and into 85, um, had some uh, marginal success, uh, toured with Billy Idol, uh, Sheila E., a number of others. And then, you know, as things happen, uh, when you don't, uh, you know, you can't get a national following, uh, the manager gets fired and I, you know, I left and then it was like, what do I do now? So I'm like, all right, maybe it's time to move back to New York. I had uh, reached out to some people up there uh, about starting a music management company. And these gentlemen who are featured in my book, not their real names, uh, but uh, uh, they said, yeah, come on up and we'll start talking. And then I get up to New York in the fall of 1985 when wrestling had exploded I mean, WrestleMania one and all of the things that were going on. And I always kept in touch with George Napolitano. So when I told him I was moving back to New York, we got together. And uh, before the music management company started, I needed to make some income. So I went to the place uh, that I had first worked at as a salesman in 1982. And that was WNYG. Uh, and I spoke to Mrs. Hornstein there, uh, the owner of the station. And I said i'd like to do some work here and uh, and then uh, george and i started talking about uh going on the air and doing a wrestling radio show called pro wrestling spotlight like i did in college uh 10 years earlier so um convinced mrs hornstein as long as you can get the sponsors and we could share revenue you know we'll put you on the air and so george and i uh launched a pro wrestling spotlight uh in october of 1985 Mm-hmm. And I uh, thought it was going to be, you know, with the with the way wrestling, how hot it was, I think the show would have definitely taken off and it, who knows what could have happened. But we lasted one week there and uh, <laughs> the Hornsteins <laughs> and those of you who listen to this podcast from the early days with Brian Last and of course, all of these shows are on uh, the Patreon account. The Hornsteins were interesting people, mom and pop owners of a station, and they were all just concerned about money. And Mr. Hornstein was a lawyer, and Mrs. H was just kind of, she was just a piece of work. Uh, So we debuted the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, and Bob's going to play some clips of that, but it only lasted one week. And uh, that was because the owner, Mr. Hornstein, who was probably in his late 70s at the time, had come in while we were on the air, and he heard some things he didn't like, um, uh, in particular Captain Lou Albano's history of music. So, Bob, I think you got a couple of clips from that one-time-only show from October 19th, 1985. So why don't we get into that? Yeah, we do. We actually have three. 
Three okay. clips. Awesome. Three clips, including the debut uh, intro to the first show here. Uh, I should say the only show here. <laughs> and it is, I'm going to put the band music now. We're going to hear. It's a nice, Bob, that's a, that was Italian music. Oh, I'm well. No, I'm trying to do Lawrence Welk. I, I, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like Polk, you were talking about polka music. Polka music, yes. But it was actually the end theme. But our lead, our lead out the show that was on before was was called the original Italian Hours with <laughs> Lila Savona. <laughs> That's great. Lila Savona was a buxom middle aged woman who had more sponsors on her show than anybody else on WNYG. And uh, she was a piece of work. And I actually got to uh, earlier, a few years earlier, uh, in the er- in the early 80s when I was working at NYG, I actually filled in for her when she went on summer vacation. Wow, and I, really? And I hosted the original Italian <laughs> Hours. That's great. And I have the tape. So, you know, maybe patrons would be able to hear that someday. But that ended, I remember that it was like a mandolin, right? Was yes. it a mandolin? Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. And then, right, we went, here, and, and I went right into the wrestling show. Well, here's the beauty part. We, uh, you convinced me to play the last few seconds of the previous show before we go into your show. And yep. if this doesn't set the flavor for what you guys were going to do, I don't know what else could. Yeah, perfect. So, folks, perfect segue. folks get, get your get your dancing shoes on. And uh, here we go <laughs> with a clip like no other you will ever hear on this show. Here we go. John Arezzi, and this is the very first edition of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. We'll be heard each and every week right here on 1440 WNYG in Babylon. We're excited about this program. It's, gonna, it's the first one of its kind, like I said, and each and every week we're going to be discussing uh, probably one of the most popular sports in the entire world right now, and that is professional wrestling. On Over the last year and a half, uh, pro wrestling has gone under a, a tremendous, tremendous resurgence of popularity. 
uh, due to the connection of rock and wrestling. Uh, but right now I want to just take the time out. Uh, each week I'll be here. And also we'll have our, as our very special co-host, a man that's been in and out of the wrestling business for several years, editor of many fine magazines, including Main Event, The Wrestling Scene, Ringside, uh, author of uh, many books on the sport, Mr. George Napolitano. And George, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here as my co-host. Thank you very much, John. I'm looking forward to doing the show with you every, every week, and I hope the people out there will really get to enjoy it. Well, I think it's going to be a, a show where it gives the wrestling fans throughout the Long Island area and even parts of Connecticut an outlet as far as to give their insights and opinions on what's happening uh, weekly in the world of wrestling. We're here to talk about not only the World Wrestling Federation and its champion Hulk Hogan, uh, we'll also be discussing the NWA, the AWA, uh, various other wrestling groups, and uh, we'll be discussing matches that take place not only in the Long Island, New York area, but throughout the world. And uh, there's wrestling happening every single night out there, and uh, George, you know that because you've been traveling all over the world covering this sport. That's right, John. Since 1971, I've been involved in professional wrestling. That's, uh, That's a very long time. 14 uh, years, actually. And uh, as far as what magazines right now are you currently working with? Main Event. I'm the editor of Main Event. Mm -hmm. And they also uh, contribute very, very much to Wrestling Scene, Ringside, and Wrestling All-Stars. So you're doing uh, quite an extensive work. Uh, work. You, you travel all over the country, Oh, too? yes. Every, uh, try at least once a month, mm -hmm. travel someplace. In September, I was in Chicago, Puerto Rico, and uh, New all, Orleans. All in one month. <laughs> yes, right. Covering that, matches all over the country, but you're not uh, you're not restricted to also the the United States territories. You also go overseas. Don't That's you? true. As I said, we went to Puerto Rico in September, but I've been to Japan several times. That must also be. to Trinidad. Well, as you know, out there, wrestling fans, you know, just to, just having the person here sitting next to me, uh, you'll know you'll be hearing exactly what's happening in the world of professional wrestling. You'll be knowing what's happening not only, like I said, in the Long Island area, but also throughout the wrestling world. Uh, one thing I want to get into real briefly, and it, hopefully it'll be the only time I discuss it on this program, uh, there's a lot of people out there who love the sport of professional wrestling, who think it's uh, the best thing in the world for them. There are others that look upon it as uh, a farce uh, or whatever you want to call it, and they don't like the validity of it, but I just want to tell you one thing right now. Uh, everyone has their opinion on professional wrestling, whether you think it's a sport, whether you think it's theatrics, whatever you want to think about it, that's your opinion. Uh, we can't change your opinion, and I'm not here to discuss uh, or get into any controversy as far as uh, what you think of pro wrestling. We're here to, to talk about it as uh, something that's very exciting in, in the world of sports, and we're going to keep it at that. So if you have your, your comments and opinions and want to dispute the validity of it, uh, I don't think this is going to be the place to do it because we're just going to be here on an upbeat type of nature. And uh, there's, a, there's been a famous quote, for those who believe uh, no explanation is necessary, for those who do not believe in pro wrestling, no explanation that we give or anyone else gives uh, will do. Uh, so that's going to be hopefully the, the, uh, the nature of that. That's, that's what we're going to get into about okay, John, that. not to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Uh, that no was problem. done by the late, great Grand Wizard. The Grand Wizard. You remember him very uh, much. Yes, I do. He, uh, he was one of the, you know, one of my friends in the business. Uh, unfortunately, passed away a few years ago. But uh, the Grand Wizard, uh, while I was doing a, sh a talk show up in the Boston area while I was going to college, uh, the Wizard used to come on almost every week and, and give us his opinions and insights. Uh, so a wonderful he was, man. He was a wonderful man. Uh, 
Also, I just want to let you know that uh, we're going to be taking your calls and comments here at WNYG Radio each and every week. We're going to be giving away tickets to upcoming matches. Uh, today we have a couple of Hulk Hogan's uh, dolls to be given away, as well as some of George's magazines. Uh, the dolls are courtesy of uh, Danny's Hobbies in West Babylon, one of our sponsors who we'll be talking about later on. But uh, you can give us a call here at uh, area code 516-661-1440 and discuss uh, professional wrestling. We'll be asking some questions later on during the day, and uh, we'll be giving away some prizes. What's that? Man. That, was, that was great. <laughs> Crazy. But, you know, you're at NYG, and uh, so people would discover when I you know, went back in 89, the production values were not there. The uh, equipment was not up to par. It was just a cluster. You know, it was crazy. But uh, we were able to get on the air, and, uh, and George... Uh, you know, George was excited about doing this show week after week. And George, uh, George is such a genuinely nice guy. Yeah. And he was really into what he was doing. In fact, uh, George and I did a little business after I left the wrestling magazines when I went to more general interest books. Mm-hmm. And I bought some photos for him. Just like I did with Richard Nevis. And I was glad to keep those guys in my spear because I always liked them. You know, they did great work. So, yeah. Um, but the, the thing is here, like you mentioned, you had every little problem from a small radio station that you could get squealing phone lines and people not picking up. And I think John did the first two minutes of it, uh, this next clip. Uh, he's going to talk to Tully Blanchard. Well, and George was George was, I mean, excuse me. And yeah. the problem, the problem was he, the first two minutes of that clip was him talking to nobody. Cause, cause the engineer didn't, uh, patch him in. didn't patch him in, didn't put up, put up the mic or whatever the phone, whatever the, uh, the, the, the pot was with you called it back then he right. didn't raise, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't on the air, <laughs> but, and Tully was kind of like a, a really good friend of George. So he came on the show. But oh, you was, can tell too. Yeah. And there but was dead the silence. So we edited out the dead silence. There's no need yeah. for you folks to hear that, but yeah. you will hear an at ease of Tully Blanchard, who you may know, your younger fans know from, AEW, yep. or as the dad of the amazing uh, Tessa Blanchard. Yes, and so, one of the one of the original Four Horsemen, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yes, he was absolutely right. Yes, Donnie raised his four figures to remind us. Very good, Don. I, I appreciated that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, let's go to let's go to Tully, and I, I will warn you that the sound here is a little bit rough the first few seconds, but it 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 evens out. It's a long clip, but it's well worth hearing. And here we go. Well, the people will be seeing you tonight on the Superstation. Have you wrestled Ron Bass before? No, in fact, that was the first one I wrestled him. Well, Ron Bass at one time held the Mid-Atlantic Championship in Florida. He had many titles, but I know yourself, with that U.S. belt, you got something that he wants. Well, I'm, him and about 4,000 other wrestlers want it. You know, I mean, it's you got Ric Flair, the World Heavyweight Champion, and then you got the United States Heavyweight Champion, and that's me, Tully Blanchard. And, and if you ain't one of those two people, you're not in the mainstream of what's really happening in professional wrestling. Okay, so now, Magnum TA, he's been a constant thorn in your side. He's the one who's really trying to get back to that U.S. belt. He had that title, though. Well, you know, it, it's... Uh, he came to Jim Crockett Promotions of the National Wrestling Alliance, and he said, I want the United States Heavyweight Championship. And he beat Ronald McDaniels for it. And uh, Ronald McDaniels, uh, his, his uh, record speaks for itself. And you don't have to say how tough he is or how mean he is or how nasty he is. And Magnum got the job done. He pinned him. One, two, three. And uh, won the United States Heavyweight Championship. Everything going his way. Rocking and rolling. 
doing America's Heartthrob and everything else. And then along came Tully and upset the cart, uh -huh. after cart you know. And, uh, you know, Magna, if, if you got pride in your ability, nobody likes to get beat. You know, Magnum, uh, Dusty Rose, Ric Flair, myself, anybody, Ronald McDaniels, you know, if you if you got pride in your ability and, and pride in yourself, you don't like to go out there and get beat. And uh, Magnum wants to redeem himself for that, plus his income cut since he's not the United States Heavyweight Champion, I'm sure is quite considerable. Also, too, now, uh, Dusty Rhodes, at present, has uh, the U.S. Heavyweight belt. We were in Charlotte sometime this summer. I believe it might have been even July 6th, outdoors. And uh, Dusty won that U.S. belt from you. Uh, not U.S., excuse me, the world's television title. George, here you are, big-time editor for <laughs> a, a national magazine, and you make a mistake like that. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, you, you fill every belt there is. I mean, I, I can't keep up with all your titles. <laughs> well, actually, as I said, Dusty has that... Uh, Television, television championship. Television championship. And Dusty right now is, is in a bad way. He got hurt. Everybody's seen him get hurt. Ric Flair and the Andersons and yourself are now, have a clicked, have joined together. Yeah, you have something against Dusty Rhodes? Oh, nothing other than I don't like him. You know, I mean, Dusty and I went round and round. I believe you got uh, one of your magazines I'm on the cover inside a barbed wire fence with Dusty Rhodes jamming barbed wire in my face. Well, I'm supposed to be friends with a guy like that, right? No, I mean friends, but... Uh... Yeah. Uh, no, it's... it's there, There's too much water underneath the bridge between Dusty Rhodes and myself. Uh, I've, I've beat him uh, on a couple occasions, and he's defeated me on a couple occasions with... Uh, you know, he walked out with the belt, so I'm not going to say he didn't beat me uh, on July the 6th for the World Television Championship. Um, I'm not going to cry over spilt milk, you know. Him and Magnum, well, he didn't beat me, he didn't this, but who's got the belt? You know, it's it's uh, Magnum screaming, hollering, I did this, I did that, when I defeated him. When, in fact, I walked out with the championship, I walk on national TV every week with the United States Heavyweight Championship belt in my possession. So that makes me the man, right? Okay, now Dusty, though, has these crutches. What do you think of Dusty and his crutches? Well, that's, uh, you got to get around. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> when your ankle's uh, in a cast, you can't walk on it. you got to use crutches. I think Dusty, though, uh, has to feel that he's going to make, make a comeback. Dusty, as you know, has been the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion a couple times. Yeah, and uh, he's a tough competitor, and... Uh, he talks real good. <laughs> talks real good. Uh, and uh, he has defeated some people for the U.S. for the World Heavyweight Championship. But he's also lost it on a couple of occasions, or he'd still have it around his waist. You got it right there, Tully. Listen, I hope to see you again very soon. Also, before I uh, close, I think you are going to be up here uh, Wednesday night, New Haven. Is that correct? That's right. Make it back up. To the sunshiny northeast. Sunshine, huh? <laughs> Actually, today we had an earthquake. An earthquake today? Yes, sir. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Okay, now, uh, Wednesday night, New Haven. I believe it's Magnum TA again. Well, it was supposed to be Dusty Rhodes. Uh-huh. For the World's Television Championship. And I'm not exactly sure how the contracts came down, but my lawyer handled it, and it's Magnum TA is going to take Dusty Rhodes' place. So instead of me uh, getting to take on the American dream, I've got to take on uh, uh, America's heartthrob. So-called America's heartthrob. Huh? The so-called America's heartthrob. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, uh, 
of course, you know, when I walk around with baby doll, I don't have to worry about other women chasing me around, but... Oh, she'll fight them all off. I don't have to fight them off, George. I mean, my God, here you are on one of the biggest radio stations in New York City. You call me at my home, interrupt me, and tell me that I have trouble with women? No, no, I didn't say that. I said baby doll will fight the other women off. Oh. They got too close to you. other women. <laughs> I don't have to go from, I found the true perfect thing. I don't need to flop around like a bee after so many flowers looking for honey pollen. Okay, you got your, you got your flower. Okay. Okay, Tully. Eye eye, right? All right, you got it. Now, Tully, I'll be looking forward to seeing you Wednesday night, in New Haven. If anything right, we can, George. anything we can do, you let me know. Please get in touch. Okay, I will. And I'd like to talk to you again next week or a couple weeks down the road to see how okay. you're doing. Super duper. All right, thank you very much. Okay. Bye bye. You know, there's a guy who really earned his spot and earned yeah. his legendary status in terms of just being a great worker and a great ring psychologist is what I think of when I think Tully Blanchard. Yes. You know, uh, very, interesting very story. Interesting story about Tully Blanchard and and his dad Joe Blanchard. Uh, they had a promotion, uh, Southwest Championship Wrestling, and before the WWF went on USA Network, they replaced Southwest uh, Championship Wrestling from Texas. Um, I believe this was around 1984 or so. But on Sunday mornings on USA Network. They had uh, the Blanchard's promotion on there, and then it became WWF. I think they got thrown off for having a bloody match with Eric Embry. Mm. Uh, If history serves, right before the WWF took over that time slot, I believe they had an angle with uh, Bob Sweetan Mm -hmm. and Eric Embry that the— Bruiser Bob Sweetan. Right, that the people uh, at the network said, this is a little bit too much. I think they had busted open a young Eric Embry, like, really graphically, Mm -hmm. and they were not much longer after that. Now, I could be wrong, but I do believe that was the beginning of the demise of that promotion and the beginning of WWE coming in. So, uh, so tell, yeah, so Tully coming on and, uh, you know, George can get just about anybody. Of course, WWW, uh, WWF, I don't know what the relationship was at that time. But uh, a matter of fact, it was good because I guess the next clip is with somebody who was very, very prominent in 1985 in the WWF. Somebody who actually uh, was instrumental in uh, the whole rock and wrestling connection. Was it? How do you get him? Called him up. <laughs> Wow! Very, very good friends with the with Captain Lou. But even at that time, I think they were a little bit standoffish in terms of uh, who you know they allowed to do public appearances. Unless he just did it without you know George called him, he said yes, and that was it. You know, I I think, and and this is just me spitballing now, but I know that George and Vince McMahon had a, a a business relationship for a number of years. And when that ended, I don't know, but it goes back to the, that I know, I know George had told me some stories about when they had the WWF magazine came out mm-hmm. when it first began. Remember it was like in the early eighties. It was in actually and, 78, 78 was the first one. And George and they, they Vince were, had George formed a and, partnership. Yeah. They were partners. I mean, George yeah. and, and Vince would put up the money for this and whatnot. And the, so who knows when that ended, but they, they had a business relationship. It, it ended with it ended with legal issues. I know that there was lawsuits involved, and uh, well, I don't think at this time I don't think at this time in 1985 that uh, George was in good graces with Vince McMahon. Was that the period when it was called Victory Magazine? Uh, yeah, 
Victory Sports? That and before no, no, that. I think no, Victory they Sports it, was yours, right? Yeah, I think they called it Victory Magazine for whatever reason. But it was the official WWWF yep. magazine at that point. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, I remember that magazine, too. Yeah, very rare, very glossy, all color. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, very, very hot item in the collectible world right now because mm -hmm. there, well, there wasn't a lot of massive distribution on that. Well, people talked about the competition in the wrestling magazine business. Let me tell you, when, when WWWF came out with their magazines, they were always first-rate photography, first-rate production, wonderful graphics. I mean, a lot of our magazines were still on pulp paper at that point. So, you know, it was hard to compete with that. It, it was. really was. It, let, let's, let's look at that as a reason why. Uh, let's face it. A lot of pe people bought wrestling magazines for the photos. And they yes. had spectacular photos all the time. They did. They really did. So, as you were about to, say, we were about to say, Lou Albano, man, and he was he the was captain. such a sweetheart at this point. Mm -hmm. So let's hear the nice guy. All of a sudden, Captain Lou Albano. Uh, this is a, a pleasure indeed to have this this particular gentleman here with us. Uh, he's been in the business for several years. Uh, several, several, <laughs> several, several years. Seems like eons. He started off, uh, and he was a champion himself. Him and Tony Altimore, wasn't he, uh, with the Sicilians? 1961. Back in the 60s, became a wrestling manager. And, uh, yes, right now, he's uh, he's now loved by all the wrestling fans. It's Captain Lou Albano. We're going to be joining the captain. Uh, George, why don't you say hello to the captain? So. Captain Lou Albano. Captain. Hello? Hello. Captain. This is How are you, George? All right, Captain. I'm glad to be able to talk to you here on WNYG. Well, George, it's a pleasure when I'm speaking to you. I mean, I feel so proud and so elated. Uh, WNYG, my favorite radio station throughout the area, and uh, with George Napolitano behind it, baby, it's got to be a great one. Uh, thank you, Captain. I mean, our paths have crossed many times in the past. We were just... You've been such a fine gentleman, George, and you've... Uh a good friend, and uh, I'd like to tell you, you know, I'm involved with multiple sclerosis with Cindy Lauper. Uh -huh. And as you know, George, I've been chosen as National Lifetime Chairman for Multiple Sclerosis. Now, this is a dreaded disease contracted by more than two million people throughout the world. And uh, we're out to knock multiple sclerosis out. The capture on the new posters is don't be ugly like ugly old Lou Albano. He wrote the book on ugliness. What we're trying to get at is let's knock out this ugly disease. Now, last year, at Studio 504, we raised well over $4 million for MS. Wow, that's some figure. And that's something this year, with the help of many other athletes, such as Hulk Hogan and uh, many other of my good friends, and Andre Giant and Winderman Rotonda and so forth, we're going to get behind multiple sclerosis, and we expect to raise 8 to $10 million with Cindy Lauper and Captain Lou Albano as the head of multiple sclerosis. Also, Lou, uh, a couple weeks back, I saw you at the sporting club in New York. Yes, that's right, George. The Ugly Bartender. Uh... Well, that's, that's what it's all about. There's a contest uh, just starting now called the Ugly Bartender Contest. Uh, I'm primarily up in the Westchester, Putnam area, and parts of the island. Cindy's down around the city. And the capture is uh, ugly. They interpret ugly as unanimously generous, lovable you. I interpret ugly as my face. When you look in the morning and I get up in the mirror, it takes me 20 minutes to brush my teeth when I look in that mirror. I want to knock out this ugly disease. You see, multiple sclerosis is a dreaded disease contracted by more than 2 million people. It is non-contagious, non-hereditary, and basically not, uh, usually not fatal to us, but in cases it is. Uh, usually it'll render a person helpless, and as I said, we want to get behind it, we want to knock it out, and we want to do what's right. Okay, Lou, how did you really get involved in MS? Well, I mean... I, uh, they come up to me and ask me if I would like to be a chairman for multiple sclerosis. They have uh, Steve Garvey.
copy, and they have uh, Jimmy Connors as sports figures, and they asked me last year to be, become a chairman, and they were so elated at the fact that uh, last year we did well over $4.2 million with Miller Beer that they made me the national lifetime chairman with Cindy Lauper. That's, that's amazing, Lou. And I mean, we got David Wolf, who is my manager and Cindy Lauper's manager, uh, behind us, pushing with us, and uh, we, we feel so proud. The World Wrestling Federation has granted permission for uh, any of the wrestlers to appear with me. And uh, as I said, George, I, I feel proud. There's one other thing that we're going to have connected with the movie. I did a movie, and I said with the movie. I hadn't explained about the movie, but I've done a movie called Wise Guys. All right. And uh, Joe Piscopo? Uh, well, uh, Aaron Russo, who uh, did The Rose, uh, we were connected with MGM. He uh, produced it for MGM with Brian De Palma, who is the director, uh, basically, of horror-type films such as Carrie and Scarface. And this is his first comedy in over 18 years. Mm -hmm. Now, we have Danny DeVito, little Louis from Taxi, who, is, who plays Harry Valentini. We have uh, Joe Piscopo, that plays Mo Dixine. We have Captain Lou Albano, that is Stunt Frankie, the fixer Acavano. And we've got uh, Harvey Cartel. Uh, we've got uh, Ray Sharkey. Uh, we've got Danny uh, Hyena. We've got uh, many a star in it. It's a comedy, a very funny picture. Uh, it was filmed in New York City, in the parts of Jersey, and down at Resorts International. Okay, now, Lou, when will it open? Uh, the world premiere will be March 21st. Uh, the uh, I've heard that the Resorts International is going to dedicate an opening on the 14th and 15th, and they're going to dedicate the opening to multiple sclerosis. That should be really well. They'll have uh, all their high rollers and people down there and uh, guests and uh, whatever is taken in will be dedicated to the uh, Multiple Sclerosis Foundation. And uh, Robert Gersh from White Plains, who is a very good friend of mine, he is the fellow that involved me with Multiple, multiple Sclerosis. Uh, I didn't even know what Multiple Sclerosis was. And as I said, with two million people having it, it almost touches uh, uh, almost every. A lot of people. I saw my brother's brother-in-law has it. And this Robert Gersh is, in my book, a true humanitarian, a great fellow. He's connected with MS. He could probably on the outside field make five times the money, but he's a very dedicated man and he's doing a lot for MS. Okay, uh, Lou, uh, my co-host, John Arizzi, would like to ask you something. Well, John Arizzi, I've heard a lot about John. I don't know him personally like I know you, George, but I heard so much about him. And besides, he's got to be a good little Italian boy, so we got to talk to him. Okay. Yeah, well, this is a Paisan, John Arezzi. How you doing, uh, sir? Paisan, brother John. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Lou, there's another aspect of your career that you're also involved with now, as well as the entire World Wrestling Federation, and that is uh, the music business. Uh, we have a, an advanced copy here of the World Wrestling Federation album. A little later on, we're going to be playing Captain Lou's theme. And how does it feel to be a recording star and Captain uh, Lou's history of music? It feels great uh, to be involved in it. And uh, as I said, it's a kind of zany-type song with the captain's raspy voice. And, uh, you know, we're involved also in a cartoon. Yes, indeed, on CBS. CBS, it's very successful, and they got a little short fat guy that looks like the captain, and uh, it's Captain Lou Albano all the way, always eating and never keeping his mouth shut, and uh, I, I feel good. I feel it's something you're out there with the people, and we want to please the public, get the words of the people. If it weren't for all the great fans out there, I mean, uh, Christ bless them all, because uh, without the good Lord behind them, you know, and without these people behind us, uh, we couldn't do it. Well, I tell you, Lou, uh, we've been following your career here for many, many years, and uh, with your involvement now with Cindy Lauper and multiple sclerosis, uh, it makes everybody proud here just to, to know that the Captain Lou Albano is, has, has turned the corner, so to speak, is now loved and popular by all the wrestling fans. And uh, it's just a pleasure to have you here on the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. We wish you the very best of luck. And uh, it's been, once again, it's been a pleasure. And uh, George would like to have some closing comments with you. Thank you very much, sir. Again, Lou, thank you very much. Well, George, let me tell you something. Uh, you know, WN, uh, I mean, listen, WNYG, uh, you hear people all over, and all they talk about is it's a great 
can talk to you anyway whether they granted permission or not because you're my personal buddy. But I feel glad that they're behind me. Anything I want to do to go out and to, to, to help with multiple sclerosis and a show like this, a radio show, that gives me the opportunity. You know, I mean, uh, there's Lord Jesus got to be behind us. God bless everybody. I want to thank the fans, George. I want to thank you, Paisan. I want to thank all the people out there. I want to thank, I mean, everyone that's involved with, with helping multiple sclerosis, uh, with the promotion of this movie, Wise Guys, which will definitely be dedicated to multiple sclerosis. I want to thank you all. God bless you all. Thanks for everything. George Napolitano, you're one of a kind, baby. Often imitated, but never duplicated. Thank you very much, Lou, and I hope to see you real soon. George, God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, there you heard it. The one and only Captain Lou Albano right here on the very first show of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. And I tell you, we've had an exciting show thus far. And who knows what's going to happen in the weeks to come. We're going to have several uh, several more guests each and every week. Uh, thank you very much, George, for contacting the captain and getting him on the show. More phone line trouble on that, but I think that clip was worth hearing just to hear his juxtaposition from what he used to be to what he was in 1985. Absolutely, and it was uh, that appearance by Lou Albano because we had uh, the wrestling album had just come out, I believe, where uh, Captain Lou had his own Captain Lou's History of Music. And I, I don't know if that was on the wrestling album or not. It could have been. So I got, I, a cop, I got a copy of it right here, actually. There it is. John is holding up for you fans not, not watching that video. John, on that album, does it say who produced it? Wasn't it Simon? Uh, I thought it was Rick Derringer. Wouldn't Rick Derringer have a Rick Derringer had a big uh, the guitarist had a big hand in a lot of the songs and like the demolition uh, song. Executive executive producers were uh, Vince McMahon, David Wolf, who was Cindy Lauper's husband at the time, and Lenny Petso uh, was the executive producers of it. Why did Uh, I think? And then and then they had outside producers, uh, uh, Joel Dorn. Uh, Each one of the songs had different producers, like Rick Derringer. There you, uh, go. Produced, there you go. And Jim Steinman even produced uh, a couple of tracks on it. And uh, and the I, Captain I thought, Lou's History of Music is, is on there. I thought Simon Cowell did one of the wrestling albums. Maybe it was the next one. It might have been. Okay. It might have been. But this Captain Lou's History of Music, because it's a wild one, we were playing that, uh, you know, with Captain Lou's appearance on the Pro Wrestling Spotlight in 1985. And that's when Mr. Hornstein, the owner of the station, was in the lobby and it came out over the speakers. And that was the end of it because Monday I was called in as like, we don't want this on our air. And that was the end of it. That was the one show run <laughs> of Pro Wrestling Spotlight and WNYG in 1985. And of course, then let's fast forward another four years <laughs> and now it's like for me personally my um the music business uh had uh, uh my partners decided to pull the plug on it uh just abruptly and i was like out of a job and what do i do now and i circle back to pro wrestling and it's, I go to my mainstay, which was WNYG, to get some sales done. And I uh, went to Mrs. Hornstein. And I was like, listen, I mean, can I do a wrestling show? Uh, and uh, her husband had gotten four years older. Uh, she was more. She was running the show more and more. And she said yes. And um, we got on the air on April the 9th, 1989, with a debut show on WNYG called Pro Wrestling Spotlight. That name is last and uh, ironically, um, it was the only show, there was only two shows in history of the program that we got cooperation from the WWF. And 
this was one of them. But Bob, I mean, uh, I know we have a couple of clips from that reboot uh, with WNYG, and uh, it was interesting to get back on the air on commercial radio. And, of course, that's what led to all of this stuff all these years later. Well, we have three clips, and the middle one is really interesting, but I won't let the cat out of the bag yet. Let's go to the intro, and then we'll go to that second clip. So here's the beginning of the rebirth right here. How you doing, wrestling fans? My name is John Anthony. I'm a former pro wrestler, and this is our debut program, The Pro Wrestling Spotlight, where each and every week we're going to feature reports from the wrestling capitals around the world, the wrestling federations around the world, including the World Wrestling Federation, the NWA, the AWA. We're also going to be taking your calls at 661-1440. We have an exciting show lined up today. Last night I went to New Haven, Connecticut for the NWA show. We have comments on some of the uh, matches that took place, and also we have interviews with some of the NWA stars. We have a report on WrestleMania five which took place last week in interviews with former New York Jet Brian Donahue, now a professional wrestler, and much, much more. So we're going to take your calls and comments at 661-1440 and get on with the beginning of the show right after this commercial timeout. And uh, right now I want to remind you once again, 661-1440 is the telephone number. We'll be back uh, in a little bit uh, with all kinds of ex- – wait a second here. We're just trying to get uh, a commercial queued up in the machine and i think it's ready to go we'll be right back so you're back john and back yeah. at WMLG. uh yes it was an interesting uh, time for me and uh, getting back on i didn't know if this was going to be a one show deal or two show deal and it, it, you know as we all know the show lasted for me 1989 right into uh 1995 and uh various radio stations but nyg was always that place that gave you a shot and uh this one stuck. Yes, and you're glad to have you back. And I'll tell you what, this next clip, I'll ask again. You got Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South. Yes. How? Uh, when I started the wrestling show, um, I reached out to the WWF offices and asked to speak to the people in charge of media relationships. And, and I got connected to a guy named Steve Planamenta. Steve Planament, who was the head of public relations and media relations for the WWF. And I knew him, ironically, because when I was in college and when I was a freelance writer, one of my dearest friends uh, to this day, a guy named Bill Martin, um, he lived in Austin, New York, and his next door neighbors uh, were the Planamenta family with a young kid named Steve Planamenta, who we called Little Stevie, who uh, was a fan of who read my articles in the magazines and also was familiar with the Freddie Blassie fan club. So when my, um, my buddy Bill told them that, um, you know, we were actually, we lived in the same uh, area in the dormitory. We had it like a suite. Um, and uh, Bill, uh, Bill was like, well, I know John Arezzi. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I go to visit my friend in Austin and I get to meet little Stevie Planamenta in the mid seventies. <laughs> and here I am, you know, all these years later, and Steve obviously had a passion for the business and I call him up and it was like, Oh my God. I said, little Stevie. And he goes, yes, Steve Planamenta. And so I got <laughs> off the wrong foot. And then he asked me, he goes, well, you, are you going to have the type of show that 
uh, is promoting the business or are you going to do what that guy at WFAN, Rich Mancuso, does, which is expose the business? I said, no, I mean, I want to promote wrestling. And that's what this show is going to be all about. And and he agreed to uh, give me uh, Jimmy Hart, Mouth of the South. And uh, and and that's how we got uh, Jimmy Hart for the very first uh, pro wrestling spotlight from 1989. That rendition of it anyway. Right. So, uh, and again, uh, he comes across here as uh, very gregarious. He seems to be in a great mood to be on your show. And uh, he was an interesting fellow. He's one of pro wrestling's most interesting personalities. You know, he was a musician first, got into wrestling, I think, based off his cred from being in the Gentries, the rock mm -hmm. band from the 60s. And uh, he kind of played it up in Memphis, and the rest is history, really. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, I have a great Jimmy Hart moment. And you're right. He that guy in the, he was in the music business and 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 uh, did so much. Three years. It's going on three years now. I'm in Cooperstown for the Baseball Hall of Fame inductions. Jimmy Hart, George Napolitano, and myself are standing around for about a half an hour, and Jimmy Hart is just telling Elvis Presley stories. And I'm telling you, it is it is phenomenal. And by the way, join the conversation. Hulk Hogan calls Jimmy Hart and Jimmy's and Jimmy says, Hey, Hulk, you know who I got next to me here? George. <laughs> he gives the phone to George and George is talking to Hulk, gives it back to Jimmy. But Jimmy told wonderful, fabulous stories about Elvis, even to his demise. It, it, there were times where Jimmy was basically a, a, a gopher for Elvis. And, and he told stories about going to the pharmacy for Elvis and what Whoa. he had to get and, it, phenomenal. And, and Jimmy is close to 80 years old. It's hard to believe, but he, he's he doesn't look it. No, he's he is the perfect representative for the for the wrestling business. He promotes himself so well. He promotes the business so well. He engages with people. Phenomenal. That's why people still want to have him. You know, yeah, he's still he's still pretty busy. He still does most of yeah. the conventions, mm -hmm. the big conventions out there. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Nice in my dealings with him, and like when I was working WCW, I remember I had lunch with him and Colin Bowman, and I got to tell you, Jimmy's a gentleman. I think he's a gentleman. I think he, he conducts himself very professionally at all times, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's rare. I think that probably led to a lot of his you know success and the fact that he had such longevity. My gosh. He also has someplace in Florida. I forgot where it's at, but he has um, his own little like, uh, luncheonette. Uh, and it has all wrestling memorabilia in there, S similar to what Hulk Hogan has. Those things are still up. Wow. That's amazing. Well, let's hear from the mouth of the South in the North. And he's interviewed here, and this is a really good one. I really enjoy this, so let's go to the clip right now. Last week, we spoke to Jimmy Mouth of the South Heart, and Jimmy had some predictions on what was going to be happening in WrestleMania. He was a very active man that night. Uh, he had two of his teams participating, and we spoke to Jimmy, and when we get back from this interview, we're going to see how accurate his predictions were. So right now, let's go to Jimmy Hart from last week. Preceding that big WrestleMania from last Sunday, we did have a chance, an opportunity to speak with the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, who was a very busy man that night. He gave us some predictions on not only the matches that he was directly involved in, but also 
the World Wide Wrestling Federation's title match between Hulk Hogan and Randy Macho Man Savage. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to see how accurate Jimmy Hart's predictions were. Right after this interview with Jimmy, we're going to give you the full rundown on what happened at WrestleMania 5 from Trump Plaza, which took place last Sunday. So let's hear what Jimmy Hart had to say as far as his predictions go. Uh, what happened at WrestleMania last week? Big John, when you're on top, you definitely got to let it rock, baby. WrestleMania 5, this is my fifth WrestleMania, and I am ready, baby. You're going to be a busy man. First of all, the grudge match. The Hart Foundation, former protégés of yours, and they'll be facing Greg the Hammer Valentine and the former, both former Intercontinental Champions with the Hockey Talk Man and Valentine against the Hart Foundation. Now, this is a this is definitely a grudge match for you, Jimmy. Uh, let's get some uh, thoughts and comments on it. Well, of course, the Hockey Talk Man, the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time, Greg the Hammer Valentine, who also held that Intercontinental Championship belt for 12 months. Together, I call them double trouble when they take on the Hart Foundation. I gave these guys their name, the Hart Foundation. I fed them. I clothed them. I made them champions. I did it all. And all, all the respect I got out of that was for the anvil. I call him Busset Buster because that's all he did was try to eat me out of house and home. We still got a contract on them. If they win, they get their contract back, John. If they don't, well, then they're automatically renewed for two years. So there's a lot riding on this big match this Saturday. I now, the animosity that exists between you and the Hart Foundation, uh, any chance of you maybe uh, going in there taking a couple shots at these guys? Well, you know, my megaphone's always ready. You know what I'm saying? It's loaded, isn't it? I always say, uh, you know, when you, when you mess with a bull, you might get the horn. So, uh, let's, yeah, I'm ready for action 24 hours a day, Daddy. Well, all right, Jimmy. Now, we have the other second. The second big match you're involved with is the Rozier brothers. Uh-huh. And they are now located in Memphis, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. We built them a house right across from Honky Land, USA. That's where me and Honky live, right across from Graceland. And, uh, matter of fact, we took them on a little plane ride the other day. We purchased the Lisa, Lisa Marie airplane, which is Elvis's old airplane. We call it the Honky Marie now. But the uh, <laughs> show brothers like it there. We feed them grits every morning, and they love it. You feed me old grits. That's it. Well, they're facing... Uh Someone, uh, a team that maybe doesn't eat grits, but I've seen them eat hay on the uh, on the primetime wrestling. That's right. Uh, the Bushwhackers. Now tell me about these guys. These guys seem very unorthodox. Uh, they're pretty wild going into the ring. Uh, you have a. Did you have uh, your hands full with these guys, I guess? You're right. These guys are wild. They're crazy. They're unpredictable. I, I call them the Abbott and Costello of the WWF, these bushwhackers. But Good choice. partners coming here and taking our American money out, so we're going to send these two clowns back to New Zealand. How fast do you think you're going to wrap it up uh, with the Rougeos against the bushwhackers? I think... hope within a minute and a half. Okay, and now also, the main event... Uh, this match has been talked about for, for several weeks now. It's been building up for months. Hulkamania against the Macho Man. Expert opinion. Who's going to win? I've got to put my money on Hulkamania because, after all, when the Intercontinental Champion, when I managed him as far as the Honky Tonk Man, Randy Savage had four or five shots. He could never get the Intercontinental Championship back away from him. Uh -huh. So uh, my money's got to go on Hulk Hogan. Elizabeth, who I call the Robin Gibbons of the World Wrestling Federation, she's got <laughs> these guys so shook up. They don't know if they're coming or going. She's going to be in a neutral corner. And I'm, I'm telling next time I see Elizabeth, I'm going to tell her to quit calling me and the Honky Tonk Man collect, too. Also, Roddy Piper's returning to the World Wrestling Federation this coming Saturday to do Piper's Pit uh, with Brother Love and also Morton Downey Jr. Any comments on that? Well, Piper, he couldn't make it in the old, old uh, 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 guess, movie business, you know what I'm trying to say? So he had to come crawling back to the World Wrestling Federation for a handout. So they're going to give him a break by putting him in WrestleMania 5 and letting him uh, interview Morton Downey Jr. and Brother Love. But uh, uh, it's going to be interesting. And one other final comment. There's another big match, Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, 
pairing up against uh, Andre the Giant with Big John Studd as the referee for that. Uh, any interference, you think, on Big John Studd's part? That's what I'm going with because I just don't see that the snake's going to play that big a part. I know Andre's scared of it because I know I'm scared of it myself, but I think the real problem is going to be with Big John Studd. I think the feud that him and Andre used to have a couple of years back is still going to linger over, and I think that's going to be the deciding decision right there. Well, there might be another explosion then besides the Mega Powers, Andre versus Jake the Snake. We've been on the phone here with Jimmy Mouth of the South Hard, a very busy man at WrestleMania this coming Saturday. Jimmy, thank you very much for your time, and best of luck to you and your teams that day. John, thank you a million, baby. We appreciate it. When you're on top, let it rock, and just remember, don't ever trust a midget, okay, pal? <laughs> you got it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That really floors me. I, that, 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 was a, that was a great get there, as they say in radio. It was, and, and I thought it was the beginning of a wonderful working relationship with the WWF. And then... <laughs> and then, a, then doggone it, Bruno San Martino came into the picture. But I, I think before we get to what happened, I think there's what do you have? One more clip from that first. I, I had to put Kevin Sullivan in here because this is oh, a man, part. Yeah, here's my other is, buddy. This is a part of his career that isn't talked about enough. The Far City Club was great, great, great faction in wrestling. It was hilarious. It's the only time that yeah. you could ever accuse Kevin Sullivan of being funny. Yeah. Because he he was the like the collegiate coach of uh, Steve Williams and Rick Steiner and um, Doctor Death, I guess at one point. And Mike Rotundo, uh, uh, yes. So it was really, really uh, a fresh new coat of paint for all those guys, and it worked worked like gangbusters. I thought. Yeah. Yeah, and it was always good to uh, you know. Get reacquainted with Kevin, who was really one of my first uh, real friends in the wrestling business, uh, meeting him in the 70s when he was just a rookie. And that friendship lasts till today. But one of the good things that you did in your early parts of your radio, I got to commend you for, is you were good at jamming things together really succinctly. Yeah. Because this clip is only about six minutes long, and you've got Kevin Sullivan followed by the Road Warriors manager, Paul Ellery. (laughs) <laughs> and it just it just blended together so nice on this clip that I had to include this one on the show. Yeah, it was a good one. Good one from the first show. I mean, it was uh, – I, I think I was uh, – I really enjoyed uh, getting back in after all those years and reacquainting myself and then getting these uh, stars, which we really had uh, uh, that entire run of all those years at Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Mm-hmm. So why don't we listen to these two legends here, Kevin Sullivan and precious Paul Ellering. Uh, a couple of matches I want to talk about. Uh, first one, the World Tag Team Championship changed hands last week. Uh, there's a referee that is now working in the NWA by the name of Teddy Long. And he is, uh, I think he's cracking up to tell you the truth because some of the decisions he made uh, and has been making recently do not make any sense. He gave the Road Warriors uh, the fastest count in the world last Sunday as they lost the tag team titles to Dr. Death, Death Steve Williams and Mike Rotundo of the Varsity club now what happened last night in new haven i got to speak to all the participate participants in this big title change and uh, what we did is uh, we spoke first of all to the captain of the varsity club kevin sullivan and uh, and what uh, he had to say was that it was not luck uh, it was just a matter of a uh, skill that the varsity club uh, defeated the road warriors the most feared tag team in professional wrestling so right now what we're going to do we're going to get the comments first of all from kevin sullivan the captain of the varsity club for the pro wrestling spotlight here with the captain of the varsity club kevin sullivan kevin you guys had some uh, some luck last week you got to the you got the world tag team championship there was no luck to it 
There's no luck to it. One, two, three. Maybe a little controversy because the first time that anybody's ever seen a lot of controversy. A little, a little. You know, everybody has a different opinion. And what it was was the people were shocked because the Road Warriors got beat for the first time on a one, two, three. It happens to everybody. It happened to Muhammad Ali. He met his Joe Frazier. It happened to the Road Warriors. They met their Varsity Club. Yeah, but the Road Warriors now are livid. What's what's the next step here? Obviously, rematch. More livid. That's what's the next step. Is you just plan. Anytime they want to rematch, the same outcome is going to happen. The Road Warriors don't have a chance against the Varsity Club. It's that simple. And listen to that. You just keep continuing on with Steiner. When are you, you going to end it? Uh, I'm going to end it pretty soon because I have a plan for Rick Steiner. And believe me, the plan I have will absolutely shock the wrestling world because I am the evil genius of the wrestling business. We've heard. And now you're the captain of the Varsity Club. Yes, I am. I'm the captain of the Varsity Club. And uh, I'm the way I look at it, I'm in the best seat in the wrestling business. I have the World Tag Team Champions as my teammates. I also have Dangerous Dan Spivey, the most dangerous man in wrestling, and uh, I'm going to get rid of Rick Stein and Eddie Gilbert and the Beach Blonde and Missy Hyde all in one whack. Watching Spivey over the, over the years, I've noticed that since he came into your tutelage and under your wing, the man just totally cracked up. Well, what he was was he was lost in the sea of life. He was floundering in the sea of life. He needed a lifesaver. Somebody to grab a hold on and someone to tell him which way to go. What is this power Kevin Sullivan has over every wrestler that he works with? Well, the reason why Kevin Sullivan has his power is a severe, strong intellect. If people know that somebody's right, they can follow them. See, there's two people in the world, they're leaders and followers, and uh, unfortunately, you know, a lot of the leaders have gone down over the last 40, 50 years. You know, there were a lot of people that had great visions. There was uh, a man that almost controlled the whole world one time, but uh, the United States got involved, and unfortunately, I mean, there's a lot of things that will be... Uh, contained in the leaders of the next decade and I, I may be asked to run for politics I yeah that was Kevin Sullivan I think he's a wacko but we're gonna we're gonna have Kevin Sullivan on the phone here in a couple of weeks and we're gonna do an in-depth interview I wanted to just uh, I want to elaborate on some of these comments that he made during this interview but anyway right after I spoke to Sullivan I spoke to Mike Rotundo who is now co-owner of the title uh, some people might think it was luck but I think it was a skill of the varsity club we were well prepared for the match in New Orleans, and we knew what the Road Warriors had to offer. But the Varsity Club, once again, has come out victorious. And Dr. Death and myself, Mike Rotundo, have really worked hard for these belts, and I don't think anybody can take them away from us. It'll be a while. Well, you also fought one of the most respected tag teams in the world in defeating them and now having the straps around your, your waist. must be a good feeling. You know, there's no doubt that the Road Warriors are a prestigious tag team. They've been all over the world. They're big in Japan. They're big in the United States, and uh, it was a definite plus for the Varsity Club, but now we're on the right direction, and uh, we're going to have the belts, like I said, for a long time. That was his opinion. After uh, I spoke to Mr. Rotundo, I had an opportunity to speak with Precious Paul Ellering, the manager of the Road, Road Warriors, and there was a definite miscarriage of justice. Those titles were taken away from them, and this is what Paul had to say. It's, it's like you said, we got robbed. Everybody that saw the wrestling show on TBS that night saw that Teddy Long needs to go back to referee school and learn how to count right. We What's got, his problem? I don't know what his problem is. We got a quick count, and, and we're having to pay for it. We're having to start out at the first step on the ladder and go back up and re reclaim what's rightfully ours. Because the Road Warriors for years have been the most feared tag team, and uh, most fans 
here in the Northeast and all around the country, all over the world, feel that they'll get their due. Well, we love coming up to the Northeast. These are our fans. Uh, these are Road Warrior fans, and they understand what the Road Warriors are about. They understand what it's like to get into the ring or to go to their job every day, day in and day out, and and to bust your butt and to give it all that you got every time you go out. And that's what that's what the Road Warriors are all about. And uh, we'd love nothing better than to come up into this Northeast and, and win back our titles up here. And finally, last night, as far as this big controversy that took place, I spoke to a very angry uh, animal uh, from the Road Warriors, and this is what he had to say. We got ripped off. That's the only way to put it. Teddy Long, I don't know what's going on in Teddy Long, the uh, referee's mind, but the count, and everybody saw it on national television across the world, that one, two, three, and it's supposed to be 1,001 count in between each count, and they were so fast, if you blinked your eyes, you would have missed it. So I guess next time you get these guys in the ring, all hell's going to break loose. It doesn't matter. We get Teddy Long in the ring. You know, the NWA and all the officials are investigating Teddy Long right now. He's made some really uh, irrational decisions. But, uh, you know, we've always had this thing going on with the varsity club. And uh, they say they're the better athletes because they're wrestlers. And we say we're the better street fighters. We're going to prove it one time, once and for all, May 7th on a pay-per-view. We're going to end all the myth of who's a better athlete, the wrestler or the fighter, which in the past seven years, as you know, the Road Warriors never lose, and we ain't going to start losing. Now. And you're the most feared tag team in wrestling. That's right, and we didn't get that reputation by, you know, picking days and giving them to our grandmother either. I right, appreciate your time. Thanks, Animal. A good period for the NWA and a good period for the pro wrestling spotlight, I think, Joe. Yeah, at least, uh, you know, that opening salvo, the first show, and I'm and, you know, my goal, I mean, uh, because now I'm on commercial radio, I'm not as shy uh, as I was years ago in my last rendition. And I wanted Bruno San Martino to come on the show. And I really wasn't keeping abreast of what was going on in wrestling until I got back in in, in 89 there. Uh, so I didn't really know that the, the heat that was Bruno against the WWF and I had asked George Ann Macropolis to reach out to Bruno to see if he would do my show. And, and he did, he agreed to do it. And uh, for me, that was, you know, that was wonderful. Uh, but as I recorded the first interview with him and, and it, 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 it was apparent to me that there was a problem that he was not <laughs> being very complimentary to the WWF and with my relationship with them now, I had to, and this was for the second show. This is the second show. This mm -hmm. is, uh, uh, I have to call Steve, uh, little Stevie and let him know that Bruno was coming on and, uh, and, um, he wasn't very happy about it. Wanted to hear the interview. And, uh, and then it, it's like I, the things he was saying, I actually had to go into station management and here we go. I'm like, uh, I think we need to get the lawyer involved so we could hear this. And he said that uh, the lawyer had said that we shouldn't play it uh, when he started talking about the WWF because he was saying things that could be leading to a lawsuit. And so I was in a pickle. What do I do? So I had Bruno recut it and then we aired it. But the WWF was like, Still, you're done. We're done with you already. Little Stevie uh, gave me the boot, and that was the end of that. So uh, what I did was, like, I found that original interview from uh, that I did that was the uh, kind of the uns uncensored one. Hmm. And I think, Bob, uh, this is the clip that we're going to play today is that, that uncensored interview that would have been on the second 
edition of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, but the one that's out there now uh, was the one that we had to water down a little bit and we right. cut with Bruno. So you provided this to us for this uh, particular this podcast. Is, this is an ex- – well, the patrons have it. This, yes. the, that whole uncensored yes. thing is on patreon.com slash John mm-hmm. But for our podcast listeners, uh, this is the first time it's being heard. Well, Bruno had uh, some problems at that point uh, with the WWF, and he's not going to pull any punches, folks. So let's hear from one of the greatest champions of all time, Bruno Sammartino. Wrestling is more in the public eye than it was 10 years ago. It's more what? It's more in the public eye. There's a lot of media coverage. Yeah. But in your opinion, is the sport better or worse than it was when you, when you were in your no, heyday? I, I feel very, very bad. I feel very bad what's happened to wrestling because I'll tell you what. During my day, my career wasn't, all, uh, uh, wasn't exactly a bed of roses, they say, because I fought with promoters constantly because I remember that I w- how hard I worked and how well I trained myself for a professional career. And when I came, became a pro, I noticed the criticism that existed in professional wrestling was the gimmicks and, and some of the showbiz aspects of it. So I constantly fought with promoters and said, look, I'm the headliner. All I wear is a pair of boots and a pair of tights. Isn't that proof that people will come and see uh, wrestling and you can do away with some of this nonsense that brings so much criticism to the to the business so i did my darnest to uh, to uh, do away with a lot of that nonsense and i and i won some battles and lost some battles with these promoters however little did i i would have never believed that it would become to what it has become today and i speak mostly of the wwf because they're the ones that i'm most familiar with Unfortunately, yes, it has a lot of TV, it's had a lot of publicity, but it, it, it has lost all credibility. I mean, wrestling to me, the WWF especially, I speak of them mostly because I was involved with them, has become a uh, total circus. Uh, I truly resent uh, everything that they've done. I mean, today, look at what you see. Here's a guy with a snake, a harmless snake that wouldn't bite anybody because it's for, if it was dangerous, it would never be allowed to go into the ring. Um, and yet they make it sound and look like, oh, here's the snake, what's it going to do? It's not going to do nothing. The parrot, the dog, these guys with all the painted faces, everybody's got these ridiculous uh, uh, painted faces for what purpose, I don't know. They have these ridiculous awards at the end of the year called the Slammies, where people, I mean, it has become a, a total and complete joke, and it hurts me deeply because I love professional wrestling. I've loved it all my life. I would have hoped that it would have gotten better as time went on, and, and uh, uh, to see it to where it's come down to, it, it's sad. And I'll tell you something else. You say about popularity the media and so forth but around the country the gate attendance has really taken a nosedive they're not drawing anywhere near the crowds like we used to draw another big problem uh, which has surfaced over the last few years uh, has been the use of steroids in the business do you think this is a dangerous precedent well that's another that's another tragedy you know a lot of people because i know i hear from they say boy this guy looks impressive and this guy looks big and this guy looks this you know, years ago, when I mentioned names like Jonathan, six foot uh, six, six foot seven, three hundred twenty, thirty pounds, or Big Bill Miller, another three hundred thirty pounds, or six foot seven. Kowalski used to be two seventy at six foot seven. Big, uh, Bill Watts, uh, three hundred pounds at six foot five. These guys were giants, but maybe they did not have the appearance of these guys today. But there was one great difference: those guys were in shape. I wrestled Bill Miller for over an hour one time. Kowalski had many hour matches with him. Donnie or Jonathan. Uh, 
and moved around that ring like 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 uh, like uh, lightweight with that 320 pounds because they were leg- they were in condition, legitimate condition. But these guys that you see with these steroid freaks, I call them, not only are they killing themselves and doing themselves very serious serious damage health problems they're going to bring onto themselves but they are they are not legitimately great conditioned people uh, when do you ever see an hour match anymore with the wwf you're lucky if, if you ever see a 15 minute match right. they're not in shape they're not in condition the appearance is there but it's all it is it's cosmetics because there's there's really very little or behind it there's nothing behind it well, i i saw a match this past saturday in new haven connecticut it was ricky steamboat against rick flair for well the... before you go any further you're talking about now a couple guys that's the nwa right and they do have some athletes the match was great pardon the match was great absolutely because you have two guys uh, steamboat you know of course he's not a very big guy he goes about 220 but rick flair he's from the old school as far as i'm concerned because he's been around about 18 years and uh, he's in shape without the, the see they don't use that garbage the, the steroids that these guys are in good shape and uh, there's other guys in nwa too like mike rotondo like uh, this rick steiner uh, Sting. These guys are in good shape and they have a good amateur background, so they know what what training is all about and how to be in tip-top shape. And I wish that the WWF uh, would have looked more into people with wrestling skills rather than the cartoon character-like uh, looks, so they can merchandise. And because of the, the name of the game with them is strictly uh, the buck, and anything that they can merchandise, they can sell, they can shove down people's throat. Uh, that's what they do, and they've taken the wrestling element completely out of it. And I think that that's, uh, that's very sad. Do you think the acquisition of the NWA by Ted Turner is going to help wrestling? I think that, I don't know how much knowledge Ted Turner has of professional wrestling. If he does not, it all depends on who he hires to run the league for him. If he hires some people with some good common sense who are interested in wrestling, I think in the, in the long haul, people will turn more to them because my experience with people is that they seem to be very turned off with the WWF and all its nonsense, and they do speak more and more of the good wrestling with the NWA. I say that if they are patient and they keep uh, going with some good athletes who will give you good wrestling, I think that in time they will grow. They have also another advantage, and that is that Ted Turner... In owning TBS, he owns his own network so that he doesn't have to worry like the others do as far as ratings. For example, the, the WWF, I know for a fact that in the past year, they have lost a lot of stations around the country because the ratings have really been going down. So that as this continues, you know, uh, they will lose more and more stations, whereas uh, Turner doesn't have to worry about that. And, as, and, and that's a tremendous advantage because uh, he's secured as far as staying on television, where WWF is not. So if they do the right things, I think that whether it be a year or two down the road, uh, I really strongly believe that they will be the number one league. All right, changing the subject just a bit. Uh, your son, David San Martino, how's he doing in his career? Well, he's wrestling for just some independents around Georgia, and he goes to Japan about three times a year. He's got a deal over there. Uh, over here, he's not doing much. Because when I quit the WWF, shortly after I quit, he was uh, uh, fired. He did do something wrong. Uh, David was wrestling in Watertown, New York, and a fan really got on his case. Um, and David, uh, on the way back to the dressing room, he, uh, the guy was calling him uh, all kind of vulgarity and so forth. But that's no excuse. David still shoved him and knocked him down, and he was arrested as a result of that. Now, what David did was absolutely wrong and no excuse for. But at that time, the WWF released a statement. 
uh, the UPI, that uh, the WWF was appalled at this kind of behavior from David San Martino. They, they do not condone such behavior, and they immediately terminated his uh, contract. Uh, the, first of all, there was no contract. And second of all, if you do not condone such behavior, that's fine, but that should go for all. Uh, the, I don't know if you read in the papers, this guy Haku has been in two incidents where being sued. Hey, didn't, he, man, didn't, he, didn't he bite the nose off of somebody at a bar? Well, yeah, in a bar, and, and more recently in Rochester, New York, he wanted some girl to bow to him as the king or something. She refused to see the boyfriend of the girl. He whacked around pretty good. He was involved in another fight in another bar another time. That's three times. Macho man has had three different lawsuits for, for, for doing things with fans. Uh, Hogan's got a big lawsuit. Uh, a lot of them have it, and yet, that's what I'm saying, uh, because I quit, because I could not uh, stand to be involved with, with, with what they were doing, what they've done to professional wrestling. But uh, with my son, of course, they, uh, they released a statement to the paper so forth. But all these other guys that are doing it, they try to hush-hush it and pay for fines and everything else that they have to do. So unfortunately, they, um, they're not very honorable people. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, it's, it's, I'm sorry, not uh, because of uh, David, because in reality, he did push the guy down, and so he did deserve, uh, because you, you cannot do that. A fan can call you uh, all the dirty names in the world, and you have to learn that you just block it out and keep going. And, and you know, and, and so you just cannot retaliate, because you can't do it. It's against the law. So David, you know, he was wrong, and he paid this price. So what I resent is that uh, if you set some rules, they should go for all, you know, just to, because they were angry because I quit. Uh, if, they, if they should have just uh, let David go and say, we no longer need your services. But to do it in the fashion that they did, I thought that that really showed just what kind of an organization they are. Well, hopefully he could bounce back from that. Uh, recently in Pittsburgh, the AWA had a card which you appeared. Uh, the main event featured Sergeant Slaughter against a former friend and someone you trained years ago who later turned against you, Larry Zabisco, now the AWA champion. Yeah. Uh, he's still carrying this grudge to this day, and he refused to shake your hand that night. Any chance of you ever challenging him for this AWA title? Me? No way. I'm retired from wrestling, and I will always be retired. No. Um, I don't know what his problem uh, is. Uh, he tells people that he retired me, which, of course, is the biggest nonsense in the world. Nobody retired me but me. I wanted to retire in the late 70s, and uh, I was talked into staying on a little longer and a little longer. Finally, I had agreed to open up the uh, Meadowlands for wrestling, and that was in 1981. Uh, well, actually, it's supposed to be 1980, I should say, but because they had construction delays and one delay after another, uh, it, 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 you know, it didn't happen until 1981. And then I had promised the Japanese promoters that before I retired, I would make one more appearance there. So October the 4th of 1981, I opened up the Meadowlands, and the very next morning, I left for Tokyo, where I spent the next 10 days. And then I came home, and I was retired. So, you know, I retired myself because it was time. It was due to retire. Uh, so Zabisco or anybody retired me. And as far as why he keeps uh, using my name or whatever, I really don't know if it's because he really hates me or because he thinks that uh, uh, by uh, suggesting that he retired me as he keeps telling everybody or what, that it helps his career. I really don't know, nor do I understand any of that. Uh, when I went to the uh, arena here in Pittsburgh, I did not go to see Zabisco or anybody. I went because my good friend Dominic Danucci. He trains people, and he was going to have about four or five of his students wrestle, make their professional debut that night. And I wanted to see what kind of wrestlers they were, because he had been telling me about them. And I, and I agreed uh, by the uh, promoter 
Bern Gagne, if, I, if they could announce that I was going to be there and introduce me in the ring. So when I went to the ring, I went to shake Larry's hand. He turned his back to me. I went and shook uh, Sergeant Slaughter's hand, and uh, he, I, I waved to the people, and I, and I left. And that's all there was to it. Not a happy camper at that point, John. Oh, no. There was a lot of heat, and there was a lot of hatred, and it was uh, it was the beginning of a uh, very tumultuous uh Period. I mean, I was done with WWF, but, you know, my relationship with Bruno got stronger and we became friends and he did a lot of stuff for me. But uh, I guess, you know, that clip really leads into what we're going to now cover next week. Right, Bob? Mm -hmm. I mean, next week is the anniversary of the sex scandals. Right. And and we've we've already kind of gone through that show, folks. And I'm telling you, that's a podcast you don't want to miss because uh, uh, it's heavy. It, it's really something. Yeah, I mean, it is the show. I guess you, when we were talking, uh, you said you weren't. Um, I wasn't was, having any fun. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun to listen to this the, the amount of sordid accusations that were flying this yeah. way and that way, and, and it it um, is not why I got into the wrestling business. I'll tell you that that type of thing, and I, I don't even know what to say. It it, it was. Um, it had to be a hard show to do, too, John, because you well, that was. show was stacked, stacked with guests. Well, it was a two-hour show, and the reason we even did this origin show is that we were off the air. Uh, so when we got back on the air, we were in the middle of the steroids, uh, the sex scandals. Uh, it, the stories had broke. Uh, we were all uh, there in New York uh, because we were taping Donahue the very right. next day. Right, so, yeah. So uh, uh, everyone was in town. You know, Meltzer was in the studio. Superstar Billy Graham was in the studio. Uh, Barry, oh, Barry Orton was in the studio. Bruno was on the phone. Um, Lord Littlebrook and Karate Kid were on the phone. Uh, Billy Jack Haynes was on the <laughs> was on the phone with us. Um, Ken Patera was even uh, uh, in a taped interview that Vince Russo did with him. And that was, of course, the um, uh, that was the real beginning and the end with Russo. Was that that week? Uh, so I mean, next week's show, when you hear next week's podcast, the shit the shit is going to hit the fan with this sex scandal show, uh, and then uh, all the Russo stuff. So uh, you know, I hope you all enjoyed this origin show because this was some good stuff and history and how we got to where we are today. Yes, John. We were just we tadpoles when uh, you were taping these shows. I like I said, oh I was God. still I was still in high school, and I'll tell you what. I wish I I was in upstate New York, and I wish I had been down here because I would have definitely been a listener, like I was when I grew up. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, fun. I mean, the ride has been interesting, as uh, we all know, and it's all kind of documented in my in my memoir, Matt Memories, that I did with Greg Oliver, and uh, but you know, talking about it is always interesting to me to relive it all. And from, you know, from me being a fan and then listening to those New York late night, New York radio shows and getting the bug and wanting to do a radio show and then getting to college and doing one and, and then leaving college and then, you know, uh, getting to do one show at WNYG and then leaving for another four years, quite the roller coaster, quite an interesting uh, journey. And uh, now with all the shows that we've done, and all the shows that we did uh, with the Arcadian Vanguard Network. Now we're going to come into a very ugly uh, personal uh, period of my life uh, with everything that happened with the, vol the volatility of the sex scandals and then breaking up 
with Russo very publicly and the financial. It's just, uh, you know, strap yourself in. You're going to hear, you know, you're going to you're going to see all the misery that I went through uh, in the wrestling business coming up as we go into future episodes here. Uh, so, guys, um, I appreciate you, you know, joining me on this journey. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I, I learned a lot because this this is pre my – I was not around for this, for the early stuff. And I had no idea how you got started. I didn't even know about these college forays into broadcasting. So it gives me more of an education about what you, what you were and what you became. Yeah. Donnie's been my uh, Donnie's been my personal historian. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. He's a historian about everything else too, so that works. I I, I have one mem- my probably my one memory about the radio show. Uh, I have many, but the one that stands out to me it was July '89. NWA comes to the Boston Garden. John was there. I come up to your room, or was in my room. And I remember you sitting down in the chair. It was in the afternoon, and you were telling me about your radio show. And you said, "Would you like to do something?" And I—I I don't know how it came up with the idea about, uh, you know, uh, um, or just like a newscast, or like they were doing on, on WINS in New York or whatever. And I, I remember that day very clearly, sitting there. And John, you—you—you you, you had your your tape recorder with you and I, I think that night you you interviewed um, uh, Ricky Steamboat maybe and I, I know that later on as I said before we went out with Eddie Gilbert and Missy and Paulie after the show we're all piled in a taxi cab but that's when I found about the show and I think the next week I was on and uh, yeah. I was it, on it, it eventually time. evolved into a weekly news capsule thing but you would yeah. come on yeah. and you would help me uh, you know, you want Luthez and you'd yeah. bring, you'd get Luthez for me and Al Costello. And yeah. uh, you might even got Stu Hart because that's Stu Hart on. And, yeah. and all yeah. of that is attributed to you, Walter Kowalski. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, John Studd. I mean, the uh, amount of people that you provided as uh, almost like a producer in a lot of ways, getting these guests and then doing these little tributes to them, uh, being involved with the show. And then it segued into the weekly uh, news capsule. I mean, you were there for most of this ride, at least when it came to the 89 version of pro wrestling spotlight right through the very end. And now back again with the podcast. So yeah, it's amazing. It's a long time, man. (laughs) Well, my coda on this will be this, all three of us guys. We were all 13 years old at one point, staring at the TV, right? Mm-hmm. And looking at the wrestlers, it seemed so larger than life. And we all got into wrestling, and we all had different paths. Yes. But some things are worth more than money, and we lived the dream. We were mm-hmm. part of the wrestling business. And not mm-hmm. everybody can say that. You know, it, it, a lot of people dream about getting into something that they're really into. We had the opportunity to, to do that. And as I get older, I'm so grateful. Yeah, I really am grateful for everything that ever happened. So, and I hope you guys feel that way too, because I know I am. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, the the stories, the relationships, the insanity. Insanity. There's so, <laughs> there's so much that 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 goes hand in hand with being a part of the wrestling business. That uh, it, it's really cool to be able to look back, and I feel you know very grateful, uh, and, and really kind of. In a way, I'm like, I saved all of this stuff for a reason. And now here we are talking about it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and there's more to come. But um, 
just to have you know you guys here on this journey with me and it's uh it's a pleasure and i want to thank you both mm-hmm. uh for once again being here with me and uh we got a interesting one next week, that's for sure. The 30th anniversary of the sex scandals, 30th anniversary of the Donahue show, and hold on to your hats, man. It's a uh, it's a show that uh, you know. In a way, I don't even want to put on the air because of mm-hmm. how volatile it was, mm-hmm. and uh, the accusations and the content, and it's ugly, ugly shit. Mm-hmm. And remember, you you ended up a lot, the center of that sex scandal uh, was from uh, a young man from Utica, New York. And yes. you had come up. I remember picking you up. You came up with on the train. Uh, one of the local ABC affiliate brought you up to talk about that. And uh, yeah. yeah, that, that was We're, pretty ugly. Referring to the late Tom Cole, obviously. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, it's an ugly period in the business. We're going to cover it uh, the best we can as far as reliving it next week and listening to it uh but uh subject matter is not um uh, fit for everybody so if you're a little uh, get offended or easily uh maybe uh, the next episode is not for you uh but we will do it and we'll we'll be back next week with it so guys thank you so much uh this will wrap up this edition of john arizzi's pro wrestling spotlight if you want to join our private group at facebook just go to facebook.com slash Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast and radio show. And we also have some uh, public and private pages there. Just look for John Arisi's Matt Memories. We have a YouTube channel. Uh, go to that and subscribe, please, because that's going to help us uh, as well and monetize that. So uh, subscribe, youtube.com slash Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Uh, you could follow me at Twitter at John Arizzi. Instagram, I'm rocking that. I mean, it's like I put rare pictures up every single night. Uh, that's at John Arizzi as well. And if you'd like to do a deeper dive into all of this stuff, uh, you can get assigned a numbered copy of my book, Matt Memories. Just send me an email, john at mattmemories.com, or just go to Amazon and you can get it on Kindle, you can get it on Audible, or you could buy it right from Amazon or any other place that you would traditionally buy your books. Uh, don't forget, Check out the sister podcast, Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden. It covers all the shows I covered from the Mecca of All Arenas 50 years ago to the day that show took place. There are six episodes available covering, so far, Madison Square Garden cards from August of 1971 through February 21st of 72. A new show coincides with the 50th anniversary of the house shows at the Garden. So the next one is coming out in just a couple of weeks. Check that out wherever you listen to your podcast, Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden, co-hosted by Tim Poutre, written and researched by Richie Garcia. And John Arisi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast is a production of Matt Memories, LLC. Our co-host is Bob Smith. Our producer and editor is A-Rob, Alex Robertson. Donnie Leibel covers the time capsule each week and a whole lot more. And just the time capsule. He's here to reminisce with us. Uh, and uh, we do have a, a creative director. Marsh is his name. That's all he wants to go by. He does all of our YouTube clips, our clips for Instagram and Twitter. And I want to uh, throw out a special thank you to the Patreon executive producers, Jeremy Priest and Matt Walsh, and all the patrons for your support for the production of this program. 
Until next week, when we relive more history with you, and man, it's going to be a doozy next time, this is John Arezzi for the Pro Wrestling Spotlight.